Howdy and welcome to Ernest Goes to Podcast, the podcast that goes to extreme, some would say unreasonable lengths, to examine the legacy left behind by beloved American icon Ernest P. Worrell, as portrayed by the late, great, impossible-to-hate Jim Barney. This is episode eight, Ernest Goes to Jail. I'm your host, Aaron, and this is my lovely co-host, David. Hi, everyone. Hi, David. How's it going? Great. And joining us for this episode is our friend Chris. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for watching this movie. <laughs> uh, it was all my pleasure. So guys, this is actually the first Ernest movie I ever saw. And it sort of set the tone for what I pictured all the movies to be. And as it turns out, they're not all this. That it's is true. weird. Maybe we should tell this story, Dave, because this movie is kind of special. It's not just the first one I watched. It's the first one I watched with you. Oh, I didn't know that. I feel special now. <laughs> So you can kind of track the reason this podcast even exists all the way back to another podcast. That's true. Called How Did This Get Made? That you and I are both avid listeners. Chris, do you listen to How Did This Get Made? I've heard a few of their episodes. They talk about bad movies. And at one point they discussed Ernest Goes to Jail. I had never seen an Ernest movie and I hadn't even listened to their episode about it. You told me about it, Dave. That sounds like something I would do. Mainly because you were commenting on the fact that the women on the podcast found Jim Barney attractive. <laughs> True. And I remember you telling me this as we were walking along. I guess you found it interesting that they found him attractive. That sounds like something I would say. So you were explaining it to me, and I and I was thinking about Ernest, the character. They were talking about Nash. Right. I thought you were talking about Ernest, and I remember like picturing back to like the covers of movies I had seen when I was a kid. Right. And little clips I had seen here and there, and I and I went, oh yeah, I could see that guy being sexy. And you were like, no, evil Ernest. Right. And I was like, oh, same thing. <laughs> So that intrigued me that you said there was like a hot guy in a movie. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so funny. It takes so little. Yeah. So I, I, Well, no, it was a specific kind of, I said, oh, I like that eccentric, weird kind of hot. I want to sure. go check that out. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I was not disappointed. But the first thing I watched was some ads and bloopers. I have a follow-up question to that then. Yeah. And I don't know if we've ever gone over this on this podcast. What did you know of Ernest before Ernest goes to oh, jail? Oh, man. Right? Well, jail was not the first. When you told me about that, I wanted to investigate Ernest from his origins. Okay. So I went to the ads first. Gotcha. And I saw some bloopers and I said, oh, he's he's great. I had never seen an Ernest anything. Right. So you, like Elisa, were like, oh, these videos have like an adult man on the cover. I have That's no interest exactly in That's exactly what that. it was. Gotcha. When I was a kid, yeah, I was aware of Ernest because of Blockbuster and seeing like his face on the cover. But it, he was his face is like just really big on the covers. It's, it's kind of like the face on the shirt that you're wearing right now, yeah. which our listeners can't <laughs> see, but it's the Ernest on a stick head from Splash Mountain face. It didn't appeal to me as a little girl because I didn't even think it was for kids, really. I I thought it was these weird adult comedies. That's interesting. You know, I thought it was just like a dumb and dumber sort of adult humor. Oh, interesting. That's I what I that. thought. Kind of along those lines, Chris, what was your knowledge of Ernest before this point, if any, before um, we dragged you into the insane fold? Not actually that different from Aaron's, I think. I remember seeing a lot of ads for the movies when I was a kid and they were coming out, um, oh. like a lot of trailers. And I wasn't really interested at the time because they kind of seemed like, and Dumb and Dumber is actually a really good parallel. It, it seems kind of like a younger audience. Dumb and Dumber is what it came off as to me. Like 
a lot of dumb gross-out jokes. Right. And I wasn't really into that, so I never really watched any Ernest movies the whole way through until Christmas a couple years ago. Yeah. Christmas is a good one. I did kind of think it would be a little bit gross or something. And Ernest as a character is not what I thought he would be. That's like the case for a lot of people we're finding. You know, that's sort of... Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't think I would like it at first, but then I decided I did like it. I didn't ever thought that there would be like nuance to the performance. Sure. And then when I looked at it, I said, oh, there's nuance in this performance. But it's easy to assume based on just cover art right. or trailers, you know, that there is not much substance there. And in some ways there aren't, but it, in other ways there are. So getting back to our boy, Ernest P. Worrell. Yes. Where is he now? We're coming off of both Ernest Saves Christmas and Haver and It's Ernest. This is true. This is a 1990 film, I believe. Yes. Ernest Saves Christmas, 1988. Haver and It's Ernest, also 1988. It was a busy year for Ernest. And keep in mind that Ernest Goes to Jail is one of the Disney four. It's one of the four movies that was commissioned by Disney. Correct. Under Touchstone Pictures. Right. We should clarify. We want to give you money, but we don't necessarily want our name on it. Touchstone was like what they released Nightmare Before Christmas under. Right. It's like the slightly it's, more adult, it's possibly. The, we'll give you a shot label. It's Disney. But this will shock both of you. The jail thing was Disney's idea. Really? Yes. I was waiting for there to be a punchline there <laughs> nope. that did not come. <laughs> That's it. I was shocked by that too. But in my research, yes, this was Disney's idea to make a jail movie. Apparently because Lockup with Sylvester Stallone had just come out and they were like, oh, we could do a jail movie with Ernest. I have never heard of the movie Lockup. <laughs> Classic, I'm so glad my filmography Sylvester. could influence such people as Ernest P. Worrell. I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but that does explain why he does that Sylvester Stallone impression oh, in the yeah. middle of the movie. Oh, then I'm like, why, right. why is Sylvester Stallone a gangster impression? That's what what right. gangster movies has he done? Interesting. That's what happened. Okay, great. So, yeah, because to me, Ernest going to jail is like... I would never, after Christmas, I would never be like, oh yeah, let's do a prison movie. Let's lock him up. And I have to say, this is the most adult feeling earnest movie, I think. What it makes you be. say that, Aaron? Um, well, there are no kids in it. That's true. It's weird because Camp had kids, yep. Christmas had kids, yep. and Santa Claus. Yep. And all of a sudden, we just got all adults. And Scared Stupid is up next. That has kids. Still sort of a kids movie, but I, it feels more like it's geared towards adults. It does. At the same time, the level of slapstick in this movie, like I was very curious, like, who this was geared towards at all. I think men, like 25 to 40. Interesting. Because intense slapstick and gritty situations. To me, that seems like they're going for adult males. All right. But it's sort of for kids because the guards in the jails wear like colorful jackets and there's colors everywhere. Like it's it's kind of bizarre. It's very bizarre. Um, but you're right about this being the most slapsticky. And I have to admit, I laugh out loud at this movie more than any of the other Ernest things. Really? And when I show Ernest to people that haven't seen an Ernest movie, I use this one. Interesting. Because it's the most fast-paced one, and it's the one that's the most visually engaging because of all the wackiness. I guess so. I wouldn't call it representative of Ernest's filmography as a whole. But, but... I wouldn't call any one Ernest movie representative that's of true. Ernest films as a whole. Like, that's you true. You can't really, you know... And that kind of ties into the each one being a different... Universe. Well, each one being a different genre, is yeah. the word I was looking for. So where's Ernest this time? Well, uh, before Ernest goes to jail, he is working as... I guess he's kind of like a janitor. Yeah, he's a 
night janitor at a bank. And again, he wants to ascend yep. to a higher echelon of career status. Sure. He, he has extremely modest ambitions. He, he does. His dream is to be a bank clerk. Very achievable dream. Oh, yeah. But that's not the only character that Jim Varney plays. Correct. You think, okay, Jim Varney has been playing Ernest for almost 10 years now. Wow, yeah. I would worry at this point that he was getting a little antsy. Sure. And wanting to stretch as an actor a bit. So in this movie, he plays two characters. Right. One being Ernest and the other being the complete opposite criminal evil murderer Nash. Felix Nash. To me, that's like, I mean, maybe that's a way of holding on to Jim Varney. Sure. Who at this point should be reading scripts. And thinking about the next thing. Right. But you want to hold on to Jim Varney. So it's like, okay, what can we do? I mean, it's letting him stretch his uh, his actor wings. And he is great. Yeah. Can we talk about the opening titles? Before uh, you arrived, Chris and I were talking about the opening titles. And I was just commenting on how there are multiple nooses and electric chairs <laughs> in the right. opening credits of this <laughs> movie for children. For children, I'm going to say with air quotes. Air quotes, all right. Uh, this whole movie has the vibe of like a 1960s Batman episode. That's what it feels like yeah, to me. There's yeah, like it even has the color scheme. Weird garish colors. Yeah. There's like kind of, I won't say that any of the Ernest films have astronomical budgets, but something about the look of this film seems like dingier in like a retro way that I can't quite put my finger on. Maybe it is the color. It might and... be. I think a lot of it is kind of shot in the dark or yeah. in very dim light. So yeah. there's like a lot, a lot of grain to the film too. Yeah, yeah um, that makes it gritty. And I could be mistaken about this. I believe like the 1960s Batman film has a opening title sequence that's very similar to this with like people kind of running in, in like in silhouette. silhouette with like very bright colors. This to me seems like it's coming right off of Haver and its Ernest. The titles seem like the interstitial graphics that go on in the middle of the show. Oh, I could see that. They're a little less fun, but yeah. But it's a different context. It's like it's jail movie. Right. So, but it is the same artist. It's Barbara Lazuski. Oh, interesting. And I, we keep saying Jim Varney is a cartoon. Yeah. One of the ways that animators kind of judge how successful or easy to understand a pose is, is by putting it in silhouette and seeing yeah. if people can understand what it is. He is mastering that. Oh, yeah. 100%. Of course he is. My first note on my notes in this film is great silhouettes. He's... he's <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, does he know what he's doing? Does he know? Like, I feel like he must. He must, right? Yeah. I was impressed again by how the effectiveness of Jim Barney. What do you think, Chris? I agree with the Batman thing. I, I think it, it does set this very cartoony tone and at the same time sets the tone of a world where some characters are very cartoony and everyone else just kind of accepts that and treats it as normal even though they're living normal day-to-day -day <laughs> lives and it's not really that unusual to see this. Right. In terms of the cartooniness, there's definitely characters in the Ernest universe who are like full-on cartoon uh -huh. and there's characters that we refer to as cartoony just because they're kind of like archetypes, I guess. They're kind of, or like stereotypes. Yeah. Like one example in this movie might be like the warden. Like, he's a very, like, stereotypical warden To me, character. the stereotypical cartoon in this movie is Ernest's boss. Oh, Mr. yeah. Mr. Pendlesmurf. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is a cartoon in, Mr. The, in, in the way we don't like. He's Mr. Tipton. He's one-dimensional. That's what yep. he, He's Mr. Tipton. He is. All right, so let's get into this movie. Yep. We've had enough preamble. Ernest goes to jail. Ernest goes to jail. I like the decision that he doesn't actually commit a crime. <laughs> like so many things in Ernest's life, he has the best of intentions of and it doesn't go his way. Of course. This is the most endearing way you could possibly end up in jail. <laughs> Through jury duty. <laughs> Through excitedness for jury That's duty. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. He's right. Yeah. He's working at the bank. He wants to be a bank clerk, but right. he's decided he's going to climb the ladder by starting as a night janitor. 
which I don't think is how it works. If anyone could make it work, it would be Ernest (laughs) P. Worrell. It's not how I would do it. Chuck and Bobby are in this movie. They're the night security team, two-man security team. Who? (laughs) They are also cartoons. Who thought, you know what Chuck and Bobby need? Guns. Guns. (laughs) (laughs) They love guns. It's all over their house. They have a minefield around their house, and they have a giant sign in front of their house that says, we're proud Americans, which I think ties into the fact that they own so many guns. Yeah. So they're in this movie as the Night Watchmen. Like, this movie starts with Ernest having problems with the floor polisher that he's using. Right. He's making some noise at night in the bank, and Chuck and Bobby run in, and Bobby just, like, points his gun at Ernest for, like, five minutes. Bobby is trigger-happy in this movie. Yes. Bobby, if you please. No! He's always pointing his gun at somebody in this movie. Yeah. It's crazy. They run in, and Ernest is just trying to get the floor polisher to work. Yeah. They let him off with a warning. Which I feel like this is not the first time that has happened. No. Is he not supposed to be there at night? I don't understand. He's the night janitor. Like, that makes no sense. Chuck what and Bobby, think? why? Who All right, they who leave. Like, yeah. <laughs> they leave. Actually, as they leave, one of the things I really like is Ernest starts monologuing about wanting to become a bank clerk. Someday corporate managers will shudder in their wingtips at my approach, for I will be a bank clerk. And they leave. And and Chuck and Bobby starts to leave, and Chuck kind of like looks back at Ernest as he's monologuing. Like, is and he then, still talking? Yeah, that happens more than <laughs> once in this movie, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And this is the first like big slapstick scene. Yes. Ernest has been flicking the switch on the polisher rapidly, which you're not supposed to do. The sign explicitly says not to do that. Yes. For some reason, that makes it become alive and drag him all over the bank. Uh, it's kind of like the scene from Mac and Me, where the girl gets pulled up the wall. He gets pulled up a wall! Yeah. Like freaking Nightmare on Elm Street. It's impossible. Right now, we are breaking rules that we didn't break in the first two Ernest movies. This could never have happened in Ernest Goes to Camp. Agreed. I mean, you you kind of require magical Santa Claus magic to have things mm-hmm. like this happen in Christmas and you know now it's just all bets are off we're yep. living in a cartoon <laughs> this stuff can happen at any point in time science be damned yeah and Ernest becomes more and more indestructible because it can't he can bleed but in this movie he gets dragged around the ceiling he gets dragged up the walls and then he falls from the ceiling yep. I think floor polisher sprays water and suds everywhere yep. maybe it's a floor polisher cleaner combined it's like a bank floor zamboni polisher. Yeah, yeah, and it, it spills water everywhere, and then like a lamp gets thrown into the air, falls into the water. Ernest is electrocuted within yep. like the first five minutes of this, this movie. This is the opening scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> within the first five minutes of the movie, you think maybe Ernest will die right here. It would be a very short movie. But he doesn't because he is now indestructible. Electro Man. And he goes... <laughs> yeah. So he's electrocuted. This time, for the first time, we get like these the cartoon electricity all over him. Yeah, like the Predator. That's where the budget went. Well, that and the spoiler alert, the flying scene. <laughs> There's a blue screen in this movie, guys. But truly, it's like, it's so... <laughs> guys, we lost Aaron. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been Ernest Goes to Podcast, episode eight. Yeah. <laughs> what were you saying? Uh, it, it truly does become like 
just a cartoon. How will Ernest get out of this situation? Tune in (laughs) next week. Same Ernest time, same (laughs) Ernest channel. Ernest, God bless his little heart, he gets electrocuted. When I saw that, I was like, it's fine. He'll be fine. And he is fine, but... He becomes a magnet? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he becomes a magnet. He becomes a magnet. Because science. He becomes a magnet. He sits up on the floor... And all the metal things in drawers and on the desk just start flying to him. Yeah, file cabinets start moving. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The progression of the scene is, this is probably my favorite scene. His reaction to becoming magnetic is he's so distressed. But also there's the sense of, of course, this is happening to Ernest. Right. It's, again, this thing where it's impossible, yeah. but it happens to Ernest. Ernest has, like, impossible if it, luck. If anyone else in the movie became magnetic, I'd be like, no, yeah. don't buy it. Because Ernest is becoming magnetic, I'm like, yeah, yeah that, lines that, up. that happens. I, I kept being struck by the selective magnetization and the the stages of, like, and, and this is the time when all of the swords become <laughs> magnetized sure. and knives and, like, go directly toward him. It's like yeah, a, a it, gradual it, elevation. Yeah, it escalates. There you go. Yeah, first it's safety pins. He's distressed by that, but unharmed. Then it's garbage cans. Then the thing that you and I laughed at, Dave, when we watched the movie was he's got all this stuff stuck to him. It looks ridiculous. He's slowly walking away, and one of the chairs starts moving along with him, and he notices it. And you see him notice it, and then you see him become afraid. It's like two separate... He's kind of like looking back at it as it's like and following he, him. He registers it's following him. He's like, oh, he speeds up, and he becomes more and more panicked as he tries to get away from it. Yeah. And I remember I was watching it with you, not expecting to find this movie funny. And at that point, we both turned to each other and said, this is kind of funny. Yeah. Well, one of my notes when I watched it this time was, I really liked that there was a short cartoon before the film starts. <laughs> the short cartoon being the first seven minutes of this film where <laughs> Ernest does in insane things. And then my favorite parts, of course, the filing cabinets. Yeah. That they don't become magnetic so much as they become animals yeah. that chase Ernest. And Jim Barney, sometimes I say Ernest and sometimes I say Jim Barney. Mm-hmm. When I say Jim Barney, it's because I'm focusing on the performance sure. aspect of it. He is doing this really like high-stepped march run. It's a panic that is unique to Ernest. He sort of march runs away from them and like hides behind them and they kind of like try to find him. They're not magnetic. They're characterized as animals yeah. with like thoughts, which was really funny to me. So he runs into uh, the vault and closes the door on himself and he gets knocked unconscious because... Um, Two uh, safety deposit boxes like fly out and like and smack him. And they're rubber. Like you see them trying to get out. Yeah. And they I like those gags too. It knocks him unconscious, I believe. Yes. Yes. Because the next time we see him, he's waking up. Somebody's waking him up. Well, so now I have a question. Yeah. Later in the movie, it's implied that Ernest wakes up in the vault often. Does he wake oh, up in the vault? you're right. They do say that. Because this has happened before, or does he wake up in the vault for a myriad of other insane cartoon That's reasons? That's right. I had gone in with the assumption that a different crazy thing happens every single time to He's... have him end up in there. I believe he that. He seems really surprised by being magnetic. Yeah. Very surprised, I would say. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's not something you often see. There's a whole other side to this movie, which is the prison. Yes. So we meet Felix Nash. We meet him because this other prisoner, Ruben, he apparently murders somebody in the jail. And yeah, then he- the sentence, I just killed a guy, yeah. is uttered in this earnest movie for children. <laughs> he runs up. Ruben is running through the prison away from the guards. I, where is he going? He's in the prison. Uh, okay. He runs into what I, I think is the laundry room. Yeah. And there's like fog everywhere. So Nash is completely like in silhouette. So we have no idea that he looks like Jim Varney, obviously. Wait, what? 
And he's like, Nash, you got to help me. And he basically says, he says, I don't help anyone that can't help me. Right. That's like the first introduction to Nash. Like it gradually shows more and more of it. Like every time we see him, it's like the back of his head. He's kind of like Dr. Like Claw. Yeah. They're like really keeping it on the hush hush that it looks exactly like a They're not fooling for anyone. For a long time. Yeah. They're um, building up the reveal. We've talked before about Ernest's not quite love interests. Yes. And we've got a great example of one in this movie. This is Charlotte Sparrow. It's a good name. She comes into the bank the next morning. Chuck and Bobby are still there. I guess they haven't noticed anything. The bank is a mess. Yeah. She comes in and finds Ernest unconscious in the vault. Wakes him up, and she treats him like a child. Like, she, yeah. she mothers him. She's like, basically. oh, Ernest, this is the biggest mess you've ever made. She says it's the biggest mess he's ever made. He's the janitor. <laughs> yep. I mean, he's not a very good janitor. The security guards are not no. especially good security guards. We don't see much of Charlotte. I'm going to assume she's not a very good bank clerk. <laughs> and that's just what everyone who works at this bank is like. Or it's like in camp where Charlotte is probably one of the most reasonable, clear-headed people I in think the whole Charlotte I would agree. I think she is reasonable and clear-headed. That being said, to be classified as such in this film does not take a lot by comparison. <laughs> That's right. But Ernest starts making excuses like the first movie's things happen to him and they're not his fault. Right. And he's like, I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, Ernest. This movie and movies afterward, things happen to him and he goes, it wasn't my fault. Oh, like immediately, he stops taking the blame like, right. at some point. And he says, he says something like, you can't imagine it was terrible. And that's true but does not even begin to convey what happened. Yeah. He points to the like the filing cabinets and he says, these two are the worst. And like, this yeah. is what I mean. When you say that Ernest says crazy things because he's deluded, I'm like, no, I believe him. Okay. No. I believe You're him. You're making a compelling argument. So Charlotte like mothers him, yeah. you know, and she's like, here, I'll help you clean up this mess and, and all this stuff. Like, things you say to a seven-year-old. Right. And of course he thinks that she is into him. Which <laughs> and he, I have a and question he, about that. Yeah. Is she? No. I genuinely couldn't tell. I, I think that's because the people making the movie and possibly the actress couldn't <laughs> tell. Okay. Uh, I think at different points of the movie, she's into him. And at different really? points of the movie, she is just a friend. No, because later she describes him as like one of the sweetest, kindest men. Well, he is. Yeah. Well, also in the very first scene we see her in when she is saying like, oh, hey, Ernest, like, I'll help you get ahead. Like, why don't we get dinner? She's saying it in a way that seems sheepish date asking. But then like immediately, like it turns around and she's like, Oh, but just as friends. I don't. I don't think she was asking in a date way at all. At all. It seems very unclear. Oh dear. I don't. I think there's disagreement in the production itself. I, I think because of who Ernest is and because of who she is, I don't get the feeling that there's any interest from her to him. But I also think that because it's a movie that's just about a good guy beating a bad guy, yeah. made in the '80s that there has to be a sense of the good guy gets the girl, and so they had to make it feel like that was happening. Ish. That, yeah. I Ish is the that. best way it's yeah, like to describe it. But I found it perplexing. She also kind of talks to Ernest like she's his internal monologue. She's actually a, a little irritating because she's like, you just got to believe in yourself and try harder. Yeah, she's like a lot of uh, she's sort just, of empty idioms yeah, that don't have any very, of like the how behind it. Well, the, okay, so this is a weird thing in this movie. I love that we're getting into this, by the way. It's all about the prison system, okay? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> because she says... It's a scathing indictment. <laughs> no, because he... You know, she says, Ernest, you have to try hard if you want to get ahead. Mm -hmm. Then she says, you have to believe in the system. She does say that. That's true. So it's all about, like the, the system will, will work in your favor if you are a law-abiding citizen, which proves to not be the case for Ernest. And he says, you're right. And I know that if I pay my taxes, bathe and floss regularly, 
I will ascend the ladder of success hand over foot. There's nothing more American to Ernest than perhaps his sincere belief in upward mobility. Right. If you just do what you're ex- yeah. is expected of you and do the right thing, then you will get ahead. And even he though... never does. And that might be the most realistic part of this movie. Yeah. So she's like, you just have to try harder. She asks him if he read the books she gave him. He yeah. says they, they didn't have pictures. Like, I think he's dyslexic. I believe it. Because he's not stupid. And I appreciate that she sees he's not stupid. Right. And they're trying to make me think he's stupid by saying that it was hard to read books but that still is not a sign of stupidity to me i mean you could interpret that as it's hard to read because i'm illiterate or you can interpret it as it's hard to read because there's nothing entertaining about just words on a page like what kind of books did she give him oh i don't know right so five lessons a millionaire taught me but basically she is trying to help him get ahead right and that's why she asks him to dinner she's being charitable so I think one of the other ways in that she's kind of maternal to Ernest is sort of in the way that she kind of protects him from their boss, Mr. Oh, that's uh, right. Pendlesmith. Pendlesmith. Yes, thank you. Because I can only remember the fake. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was incorrect a problem names. for me the entire way through. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Puddlesmoot. Smittlepit. Smoothlepoot. Pendlesmith, you idiot. So he comes in and is essentially Mr. Tiptoning it up. Ernest, why are you such a screw up? Blah, blah, Poor blah. I, I have no ability why to see the value of people. Like, he, I mean, he seems cheap. He seems like he hires the cheapest people right. he can find. <laughs> we need security people? All right, let's get those two guys that have the camouflage That's van. Right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense now. Okay. And, and just like Mr. Tipton, he's just in it for those bucks. He is. The bank bucks. And it seems like Ernest is not going to get that clerk's job. He is a human adding machine. He does have a good grasp of mathematics. Does he? He is very friendly, which is something that you definitely want from a bank. He does also have that, yeah. I mean... You're right. You know what? Maybe, yeah. He would definitely be a better bank clerk than a janitor. Certainly. I would say this is the first time that Ernest is not performing a job enthusiastically. Like, at camp, he wants to be a counselor, but he still does his other duties dutifully. He does, like, like the caretaker, yeah. He's an enthusiastic cab driver. Certainly. But he doesn't like this job, and he doesn't, doesn't do it well or with any heart. And that might be yeah. where he needs heart. That's an interesting point. Sure. If he were a bank clerk and his heart was in it, yeah, right. I think he would be good, actually. And Charlotte, I think, agrees. Yeah. Because Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte invites him to dinner. Right. And then he goes and home. And then he says, well, you want to go to dinner with me? Like, he's immediately taking it as a date. So she has to say, well, just as friends, like, obviously. He gives her this, like, the skeptical look. And then he starts, he says, like, Well, I suggest you bring your willpower, young woman. Be forewarned, the world (laughs) charm is merciless. She rolls her eyes and walks away. And then he keeps talking about how she's actually into him as he goes home to prepare for the date. Right. He prepares for this date for about three hours. Does he start a monologue at the bank that continues to home? Okay. There's actually a deleted scene. We should mention this movie has deleted scenes that were inserted back for the TV broadcast. Right. And a deleted ending from the theatrical version that actually made total sense. And I don't know why they changed it. And so when you watch it with the deleted scenes, this scene actually continues he's still monologuing about how she's actually into him the camera pulls back and then it cuts home he's still talking about how she's actually into him oh sure charlotte you just want to show me the ropes you just want to give me a leg up to the bottom rung of that little ladder called success and he's very excited i mean it's the first date in a while i'm sure sure charlotte has more than a professional interest in yours truly and who can blame her? 
and just to be clear, you're saying he's getting ready for the date. What he's doing is well. he, he, he pulls out a can of Vern's Industrial Strength yep. Bubble Bath, yep. which looks like a gasoline container, <laughs> pours the bubble bath into a washing machine contraption. It looks like gasoline. And yep. then disrobes, except for the vest and the hat. First, he like... He's like talking to a rim he shot. brush his teeth first? Oh, yes. He has like a, a football <laughs> helmet contraption that's like a toothbrushing he, thing. At some point, I watched this movie with my brother. Mm-hmm. And when we saw his toothbrush contraption, my brother went, so is he an inventor? Kinda. And then I and I kind of was like, eh, yeah, but it's kind of incidental. Yeah. He just invents things. And like, it's hard when the movie's like... Yeah, he's dumb. And then they go home and he's invented like freaking. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he has a lot of engineering and applied intelligence, but very little social intelligence. Yeah. Like, it seems like where he's making dumb decisions a lot of the time is that he's reading people wrong and he's not understanding the situation that he's in with other people. But he's really smart otherwise. Oh, yeah. Okay. See, we didn't ask you, but you just said he's smart. I mean, he's smart in certain areas, well, but he doesn't get other stuff. Yeah, so he goes home to his contraption. I did appreciate house. that Ernest had a lot of contraptions that were built out of Duplos. That is all. He brushes his teeth, then he sprays his face with water, which is just Jim Barney spraying a thing in his mouth that looks kind of painful. Yeah. I love just the real stunts. And then... <laughs> Did you just classify spraying yourself in the yeah. face with water as a stunt? Sure. All right. It hurts. <laughs> and then we see Ernest's washer shower. It's what he bathes in. It's a washing machine, but it has like the settings of a blender. Yeah. Just the abrupt cut to him lowering himself into this contraption made me laugh really hard. Yep. And yes, he bathes, we should say. He's new it except that he has his denim vest on and he's got a shower cap on top of his hat. Yes. Like you do. So, Do you think he takes the milk bath in there also? I don't know. Okay, you know what? I have to say this. This movie is the first movie where Ernest wears long sleeves. That's true. And I do not appreciate. He's in long sleeves in the first scene. I was like, is this the whole movie? Well, are, you, are you serious with me right now? And then he goes home and he gets ready for his date. And it's for me. It's <laughs> where the best arm scene is. During the arm wrestling scene, I was like, I wonder if they just had him like wear long sleeves because like if he was gonna arm wrestle this guy, he would like <laughs> look too jacked. He would look ripped. <laughs> yeah. I think it, maybe he thinks it's unprofessional to work in the bank with short sleeves. I also thought about that. That's definitely possible. That's too. what I think it is. Maybe he had like a t-shirt the first day, and, and Mr. Like, Poodle Smurf was like, yeah. "Ernest, you scrub. You can't yeah. even dress yourself." Yeah. So he went and bought fifty gray long sleeve t-shirts. Yeah. By the way, fifty gray t-shirts. He has a cartoon wardrobe yep. legit. Yep, yep, he does. So then, yeah, he gets out and he goes over to his cartoon wardrobe and chooses what to wear. And it's all just the same outfit. Yep. Even the shoes, he has multiple pairs of those shoes, yep. which I told you. I did notice in this film, he <laughs> does have the black you. canvas shoes. You're right, Aaron. You're always Aaron. <laughs> oh, I should also say that on top of his washing machine, he has a barbell shaped sponge. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. Oh, and the best arm scene, best arm scene is where he goes to his full body dryer this is what he does when he gets out of the washing machine he goes into this giant contraption that he's labeled full body dryer even though he knows what it is because he made it i assume on the other side of the wall is just like some sort of jet engine intake <laughs> so you you want to label that he walks up and he presses the button and it blows it blows him away and he struggles to like walk against the wind and push the off switch and his arm looks great looks great and then he gets electrocuted by his dryer. Yeah, it's actually like a little bit of a variation on the wire short gag. Yep, 
there's my problem right there is the variation on it. So he gets electrocuted again and immediately becomes magnetic again. Right. And then goes straight to his date, still magnetic. Yes. This is the best scene in the movie. So a couple of the scenes in this movie are just like, let's pause while Jim Varney. Like, it did feel a lot yeah. like Family Album, where it's like, let's just pause. Jim Varney's going to do his thing for a bit. We're just going to let you guys bask in it, and then we'll continue. So we'll see you in a few minutes. All right. This Lobster. is great. He's at dinner with Charlotte. Daniel Butler is a waiter. Yeah, the, the waiter comes over and is like, you can call me Philippe. I was like, I'll call you Dan Butler. Thanks. <laughs> Daniel Butler is one of the earnest regulars. The earnest company players. Yes. And the earnest brain trust. Yes. This date scene is kind of the best. Because, yeah, she's talking about the job. She's like, oh, I talked to Mr. Pendlesmith. He said he would take your application, but you have to be more careful. She says that, like, ten times in this movie. And Ernest is like, I just know I can win him over. But, like, as they're having this conversation, all the utensils and, like, metal trays on the table are, like, inching towards Ernest. And he's, like, glancing at... He's giving, like, little furtive glances and trying to listen to her at the same time. It's a great scene of just him trying to play off the fact that he's magnetic. Right. And not embarrass himself on his... (laughs) supposed date there's some uh fun bits where like there's like a butter knife that's like kind of slanted and it keeps like kind of like advancing on yeah him. yeah well that's the thing with all the magnetic stuff it, they don't just get pulled toward him they like they threaten him first right i was a little struck by like how completely oblivious to it charlotte was yeah. like she's looking directly at him <laughs> like she's not being distracted by something like she's she's just sitting directly across from him at a very small table and not reacting at all until the That's end. That's true. But she's talking. I feel like she when she's talking, speaking, yeah. she is not registering anything because she she's very um one track. She cares about job. She has uh, tunnel vision. Yes. She's talking about the job and what she thought she would be doing at the bank within a year. She's kind of opening up to him. And that you get the sense that she doesn't really get out much because like he makes like one joke and she's like, ha ha, this is fun. Yeah. Like, like what? He just... He said one thing, and it has nothing to do with what she was just saying, but she's, like, delighted by it. And then she says, like, you're pretty good company. Like, she's surprised. Right. Like, I think she's noticing what he's doing, but she's... The first assumption is not that he's magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> like... So it's just Wait, kind of not? earnest being earnest. But yeah, then she says it's fun. If I, See, I would love to go to dinner with Ernest because I think he would be great company. And I sure. wouldn't say anything. I would just say, Ernest, just tell me about your day. Just tell me in your own words what happened to you today. And I just listen, maybe turn on a recorder. Like, <laughs> just bask in that. Sure. So she has a great time, actually, mm-hmm. despite Ernest being magnetic. Then the scene is like finished by like a big. Like a big it's like a, f- a food tray lid. Yeah, there's a big tray that's covering lobster, and the lid and lobster both fly into Ernest's face. Yep. She notices that. One would hope. I love that entire scene, mainly for his reactions. I don't watch Ernest movies as films so much as I see it as spending time with Ernest. What's he up to? To that degree, <laughs> if you want to see Ernest do Ernesty things, <laughs> there's a lot of it in this movie. And then we see like the rest of Ernest's house. He's arriving home after being dropped off by Chuck and Bobby, who are apparently his neighbors. I actually like this part a lot because this time it's Ernest walking away, leaving the van as Chuck, Chuck continues Bobby, yeah. to monologue. That's right. Because Chuck also does that. I mean, also, the more that I think about it, the more that it bothers me that he leaves the van and then they just go park next door. Like, <laughs> why doesn't he just wait until they park in their in their driveway and just walk home? Like, why does he make them stop right in front of well, his house to let him out? How do you know he made out? them stop? 
That's true. The, yeah, maybe it's like uh, security. security I, oh, yeah, we can't let you behind yeah, our, yeah. 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 As we know, their lawn is a literal minefield. That's true. So he goes home. He opens his mailbox and a hand comes out. There's like a plastic hand in his mailbox that hands him his mail. That's because he's like Wade Solinsky. Yeah. And then Ernest goes up to his house. It's, it looks like the Christmas house because it's got a big E, I, e, I think. And it's, it's got it's a, a very giant Christmas ice cream house. cone. Yep. I just love his giant ice cream cone. And by the way, we haven't mentioned Rimshot. Oh, yeah. Rimshot. But I'm His doggy. This is the first movie where Ernest has a dog played by Barkley. Is that true? Yeah. His name is Barkley. And he's adorable. The little doggy jumps into his arms and he says, Did you miss your daddy? And you're like, Oh, Ernest has a dog. You know why? He needs a Vern. Yep. I need somebody to talk to, Pokey. Need someone to monologue to. Yeah. It's so endearing because he, he says, let's see what we got in the mail. And he sees that he got a letter. And he goes, all right. And he opens it after he gets into his house, which has some kind of contraption that turns the TV on. Yes. Which is unnecessary. Just pressing a button to turn on my TV seems too easy. I wonder if there's a... The Ernest P. Moral way. It would be like a a way that I could use my engineering genius. He opens his letter, and it turns out that he's been summoned for jury duty. Correct. And he gets inordinately excited about being summoned for jury duty. I mean, I think even just saying he gets excited about jury duty (laughs) says all you need to know. He actually says, I've been chosen. Maybe he's just excited to have been chosen for something. Yeah. It's a miracle. I'm so happy. I'm ecstatic. He's so excited that he actually like does a somersault into Chuck and Bobby's lawn. He does do that. Over his hedge. Over this giant hedge. And it is Jim Varney somersaulting. Not only because it's Jim Varney somersaulting, but uh, he loses his hat as he somersaults and temporarily becomes Jim Varney. he's temporarily Jim Varney sitting on the lawn. Our theory is that without the hat, Ernest is just Jim Varney. But it turns out, yeah, that Chuck and Bobby's lawn is a minefield and yeah they have a big sign that says like we're proud americans and then when you go in they're like shooting at a target the target practice is like directly the doorway. it's like the yep. front door is right yep. behind it and Ernest has to run past these like bullets yeah to get to a safe place where he can explain to them that he's been summoned for jury duty and he's very excited about it correct and then he goes to jury duty judge jackie welch now that we've done the two movies and haver and it's Ernest, like now i'm familiar with not just the Ernest brain trust but also the Ernest company players sure jackie welch bruce Ar- butler bruce, bruce arnson is like the he's one of the jurors he's one of the jurors yeah actually i think the defense attorney is the same lawyer from Ernest goes to camp i wondered about that that's interesting he's not a good lawyer anymore no he's now not he's a bad guy lawyer yeah so the trial that Ernest is on is actually ruben's trial i killed the guy guy from yeah, the beginning the i killed the guy guy that asked nash for help and was declined right he's on trial for the murder of another prisoner and jackie welch is explaining to the jury that they have to weigh the evidence carefully right and Ernest is taking it so seriously because like jackie welch is like and it's up to you and he kind of mouths like me yeah he like points okay. Okay, and he's got his legs crossed. He has a little pen and a notepad. He's trying to look pensive and serious. That's how I expect Ernest to perform duties with great eagerness. In terms of jury duty, like he's getting recognition from someone that's never even met him. So he's like, "Yes, yeah," and I'm we the know one. You that he me. likes the idea of being smart, and that's usually what he's trying to portray whenever he speaks. Yeah, and he is smart, or else he wouldn't be actually be able to speak that way. But he doesn't quite understand that. Correct. He's not smart enough to know how smart he is. He's taking it so seriously. It's very sweet. And then the worst thing happens to him. Chris, do you want to intro this? No, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Describe the scene. 
in your own words. Um, the, Ernest experiences this sort of social anxiety nightmare where uh, he he bites down on a on a you know your your standard plastic fountain pen because he's chewing on it because he wants to look serious and smart and he he tries a little too hard and spills ink all in his mouth at which point he uh, begins to you know dribble it out and how long does it take him to get to the piece of paper um, <laughs> it feels like a long I was gonna say, time. it was like a 3 really or 4 hours time. at least yeah, yeah. And there, there, you know, these great little reactions That's right. from from the judge and like the and the attorneys, attorneys who are you know who are noticing him and trying not to make a big deal out of it. They're right. trying not to look at him, but they clearly see him. Yeah, like he's not hiding this well. <laughs> no, but he's trying to, and everything he's doing is just making it worse. He's uh, embarrassed. He's so embarrassed until he hits the point where he's he's wiping his face off with a piece of paper that then becomes drenched in ink and because he can't get rid of it he just puts it in his mouth and starts chewing (laughs) and then just tries to you know make friendly smiles at the jurors next to him just to to reinforce that nothing's wrong yeah everything's fine that's exactly everything's normal hey hey a guy who everything normal is also going for how how is everything normal right oh I don't know if I could put that more succinctly. Yeah, everyone's trying to play this cool. It's great because it's not just Ernest. No one is saying anything up until Judge Jackie Welch is finally like, "Are you okay?" (laughs) Excuse me, sir. Are you all right? Uh, Just fine, thank you. That is the point at which Reuben dramatically leans forward and smiles evilly. Right. And you're just seeing poor Ernest. He's just chewing on a piece of paper, like obliviously, as Reuben leans into his lawyer and is like, "That guy looks exactly." Do you hear him say that? Yes, yes. it's really weird. Yeah, oh, because like they're clearly whispering, but you can hear them, but they are still just whispering. Interesting. The lawyer's like, "It'll never work." And I'm like, "Wait, the lawyer's playing along with this? He's terrible." They're like, "Ruben's like, it'll work. Trust me, it'll work." So then the lawyer is like, "All right," and he stands up and he proposes that the trial be moved to the prison. So the jury has like a first-hand view yeah. of where the the alleged crime. He says, "Yeah." Uh, at, at which point the judge says my favorite thing that judges always say, (laughs) which is, well, that's an extremely unusual request. However, I'll allow it. We go back to the prison and Mm. Reuben is explaining this to Nash and he's like, yeah, I'm telling you, this guy is right on the numbers, which I guess means that guy looks like you. Sure. And then we finally reveal that Nash is played by Jim Varney because he's like wiping his face with a towel. He pulls it down. He's like, yeah, I'm a big believer in the early release program. And he laughs evilly. We're all like, Oh my god! That guy that sounds like Jim Varney is Jim Varney! He looks just like Nash. So the trial is moved to the state penitentiary. I'll allow it. And Ernest is there with his clipboard and his pen. All the jurors are there listening to the lawyer talk to them while Nash and his muscle, Lyle, Mm -hmm. this guy with like a mustache and like this crazy shaped hair. Yeah, he feels like he was like an extra from Max Headroom that they just hired for this. He's just like a big tough. Yeah. That's like doesn't speak. Right. They're like standing outside the gate and the lawyer is saying death frightening something to be avoided and then he says is death murder is murder death i think not (laughs) yes yes that's what he says no i believe you he's obviously like just stalling he's not saying anything right but he's giving time for nash and lyle to run up on Ernest. nash pokes his head out from behind like a A dumpster a dumpster and he starts going like 
to Ernest and then like ducks back away and he does it a few times. I don't know if to confuse him or something. Ernest, by the way, the only person who hears this <laughs> happening. Finally, Nash pops out and he goes, hey, you come here. And Ernest touches his own face, touches his own chest, and then says one of my favorite lines, which is, am I me? Yep. I wrote that down too. And they lure little Ernest out like a wolf luring a sheep away from the flock. Is that how wolves operate? (laughs) Yeah, they go, come here. They find sheep that look exactly like them. (laughs) Nash does put on a prison vest and cap to do this. So you you could characterize him as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, you're right. You're right, David. Why is he wearing a prison version of Ernest's clothes? Because then it'll make the the switch easier, even though you're just going to trade clothes with him anyway. I don't know. So that Ernest can still be wearing a vest and a hat. He's the only one wearing a hat. Yeah, I guess you're right. So Ernest is lured away from the rest of the jurors. He's knocked unconscious. He has some double vision before he passes out completely, and he sees Lyle above him. And then they switch out. Yeah. And Ernest wakes up in the prison yard, and he thinks for a very long time, probably until the end of the day. Until he gets locked into a jail cell. He still believes that he's on jury duty. As he is in the prison, like, exercise yard. Boy, this is great. A brief workout to gather our thoughts, then it's off to the jury room to decide. Right. And then as they eat lunch together with all the prisoners. A lot of jurors here today. Must be a lot of trials going on. A sad commentary on our disintegrating society. Know what I mean? Where someone says to him, eat greaseball. And then he says, I didn't order greaseball. He looks so upset. At that moment that my heart like broke. I like broke. that joke though. Here's the thing. There is a transition with Ernest and I think it starts happening very noticeably in this movie is that he becomes more and more childlike, I mm. think. Part of it is in Jim Barney's performance and not so much how he's written but he's using the body language of like a seven-year-old because Ernest's body language is, is very childlike. Not so much in Camp and Christmas but in this movie he tends to sort of stand in a, like a very vulnerable looking position. Yeah. He kind of slouches a little bit. He slouches. He kind of holds his knees together. Mm. And he holds himself in such a way as as to look very vulnerable. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I didn't pick up on that specifically. And the more he does it, the more like heartbroken I am when bad things happen. Well, sure. He does bring out, for me, that's like a maternal side. Like, I want to run into the movie and protect him. And I can't. He's just locked yeah, into that's a jail cell. Not how movies work. He thinks he's being sequestered. He's like, oh no. He says we're being sequestered, and on top of that, we can't even leave. That's a funny joke, too. <laughs> to Ernest's credit, if I was on a jury that ended up going on a trip to a prison, prison and I was knocked out, my first reaction would not be, <laughs> oh, a criminal inmate who looks exactly like me swapped places with me, and that's why yeah, I'm in yeah. jail now. So I get it. And then he gets thrown into the cell. Oh, this is one of my favorite parts because he sees Lyle. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, wait a second. And then he bashes his own head yep. against the bars. Yep. Sees double vision again, looks back at Lyle and is like, oh, you're that guy. He's like, oh, you're in real trouble. And he like calls the guard back over. He yells bailiff, which should tell them something. Once again, <laughs> I don't think anyone is thinking. I bet they found a guy who looks like Nash on the jury and yeah. swap places. So he's grabbing the guard and like pulling his head against the bars. Yep. And the guard gets really mad. It's like, if you do that again, I'll put you in the hole. And that's when Ernest realizes he's in jail. Right. Because he knows what the hole is. Really, really, really real prison. 
The Hooskow, the Slammer, the Joint, Alphatrin, San Quentin, Sing Sing. Ernest also starts to do a thing in this movie that he's done intermittently before, but I feel like he starts to do it a lot here where someone will say something and he'll be like, the word you just said, you mean synonym number one, synonym number two, synonym number three? Well, again, he cannot use That's a true. short word if five will do. But so Ernest realizes that he's in jail. And meanwhile, outside of jail, Nash is taking over his life. The first thing Nash does is swing the jury. What is that he do- was the plan, to get Nash on the jury so that he could acquit Reuben. What is he doing to like intimidate Bruce Arnston in the jury? Cause, like, He's just playing with a coin. He's like rolling that's a coin what he's doing. Yep. from finger to finger. It's just like, look, look what Jim Varney can do with his giant hands. <laughs> he looks cool. Yeah. It's a really cool move. And the Jackie Welch is asking, so how do you find him? And Bruce Arnston like, looks at Nash and he's like, not guilty. Yeah. And she's kind of like, are you sure? Yeah, Jackie Welch is like, <laughs> you sure about that? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, okay. Nash leaves and is picked up from jury duty by Chuck and Bobby, which I guess was the plan this the is where, whole time. This is where we get a good shot of their van, which says Chuck and Bobby Security Company and has some sort of like interesting, weird graphic of them. And they get into the van and Chuck's like, so how did your date go? Which I love means that Ernest told them that he had a date. Yeah. It's great because Nash has just all these generic responses to everything they say so they're like how, how was your date and he's just like oh we had a nice time and it's like that's it it's like be, be unearnest whereas if you prompt Ernest, <laughs> he will just monologue at length about the most minute details yeah. and bobby immediately is like he's kind of like a dog in this movie like he sniffs the evil on nash but he doesn't speak for some reason he is kind of like a dog in that what i thought of is that like chuck is kind of like inspector gadget and bobby's like brain yeah mm-hmm. or even even more like kind of like a wallace and gromit sort of thing where it's like there's yeah. this like silent character silent who knows what's up knows more yeah. yeah and then chuck's like where's your hat yeah. Like, I never see you without that thing. Which is like, yeah, we never see Ernest without that thing. And like what you were saying about the Ernest doll, yeah, like yeah. how did they know what his hair looked like when they sculpted that? It I actually does kind of look like Nash's hair. Yeah, it's just slicked back with like oil. Maybe this was already in pre-production. But Chuck is like, where's your sky piece? I never see you without that thing. He calls it brown again, which irritates me. It's khaki. Khaki is a brown. Brown is brown. Khaki's khaki. I wouldn't call your shirt brown. So you're, you're, you're bothered by brown instead of khaki... Yeah. But not by the use of the word skypiece, which I have <laughs> never heard before or since to describe headwear. I thought that was just a thing that people said and that I'd never heard. Has anyone heard that ever? I, never heard listeners, of skypiece. Listeners, um, if you can direct us to any other instance in history where a human being says the word skypiece, please. In, refer- in reference to a hat. Right. Let us know. So Nash is just like, I must have lost it. <laughs> like, like that's what I mean. His responses are just the most. What can I do to have this the conversation? Most minimal, end? Yeah, he doesn't want to talk. He is nega earnest. That's when Bobby's like really suspicious, and there's like a really tense moment where you think Chuck's gonna figure it out. He's like, this guy is in love. Luv, Ernest and Charlotte sit in a tree. K i s s i n g. First comes love, and then comes marriage, then comes Ernest. Pushing the baby carriage. <laughs> he finishes the entire he, thing. He does all of the verses. What the heck? Is he like a 10-year-old? Yes. <laughs> and I love that Nash has to sit and listen to it. Because there's the thing about Nash. He's not a cartoon. He is a stereotype, but he's not a cartoon. I mean, there's things that happen to him that would kill him. And that kind of is the 
physics of this movie, but in terms of how he acts, he is the anti-Ernest to the point where watching him have to listen to people say ridiculous things is a joy in itself because he looks so irritated. I can't remember them ever saying specifically what Nash did. I know they talk about him as a bank robber. See, that's the thing. But he did something that merits being put on death row. Yeah, like, that's the you thing. You do not get executed for robbing banks. Yeah. I had the same thought. I was like, what the heck did Nash do? He gets the chair. Yeah. For what? I don't know. But they get out. They arrive at the bank. Right. And he's like, I work at a bank because he's a bank robber that got the chair. Right. And then for the first time, Chuck like slaps him over the head, which he does a few times times in this movie and i love it because nash is like he's boiling yeah. under the surface i love nash as awful as he is he's very entertaining i mean and, jim varney plays him so yeah i mean he's he's yeah. great we go back to Ernest, and he's in jail and he's explaining to the guard like i'm actually not nash the guard's kind of listening to him he's like well how come you look like him and Ernest is like because he's obviously a very attractive criminal i like which that joke. is true and so I feel like the guard's sort of coming around, but then Ruben comes over and sabotages it yeah. by saying, hey, Mr. Nash, did they fall for it? And this is where, again, Ernest is not dumb, because as soon as he sees Ruben, he A, immediately recognizes him, B, immediately recognizes that he intentionally just sabotaged him explaining to the guard what happened. Yep. And Ruben comes in, he's like, did you miss me, Mr. Nash? And he's like, you know I'm not Nash. Like, you know. And then Ruben's like, sure you are. Ernest. And the look on Ernest's face when he says that is like, oh, this was on purpose. Yeah. This isn't an accident. He's gotten to the point where like <laughs> his tendency to believe the best of people it no longer applies. <laughs> it's like a, the saddest look of resignation on his face. Like, I am really in trouble because somebody yep. set me up. It's just a sad emoji. That's his face right now. Like Willie the homemade robot. And then like Ruben calls Nash on the phone. And no one's like, hey, someone who sounds exactly like Nash is calling from, <laughs> from outside the prison. How is that? Uh... He's like, yeah, uh, turns out this guy works at the bank. There'll be a cut in it for you. I really like the actor that plays Ruben, actually. I yep. think he's really good. He's like, I can't believe it. Sometimes the cards just fall your way. He says that line. It's like such such glee. Yep. I appreciated it. He has a big gold tooth. He does. <laughs> so he goes back into the cell and he threatens Ernest. And this is great. He says, you better play along or Lyle will break your back. And Ernest is like, break it. Yeah. Break it. Break my back. Real men are not intimidated by physical threats against their personal selves. And ironically, neither am I. <laughs> he doesn't care. I like that joke a lot. <laughs> and then so they're like, well, what about other people? And that's when Ernest gets afraid. Does Ernest on some level know that he's practically invulnerable to permanent injury? Hmm, that's a good point. I feel like he knows it more and more with each subsequent movie. The self-awareness more more. seems to be more there the further into uh, the films we get. I think he's still afraid of pain. Yeah. And he doesn't like pain. And he doesn't like to fall off things because it seems like everything still hurts. Yeah. I almost get the sense that he's waiting for that one time where <laughs> it actually is going to be like, oh, the crap. Thing like that this finishes him. I feel like maybe the part in Ernest Goes to Camp where he got beat up and bled. Oh, like, after God. that, he was like, this oh, man, there was that one time where <laughs> it, this this didn't work out. So I, I can't take any chances. He I have to treat knows. each incident like it's going to be the thing that finishes me. I even think he might experience pain more vividly than normal people. Like in a cartoony way? You might yeah. Say. He might actually experience pain more vividly while not sustaining permanent damage. Sure. Maybe that's the trade-off. Well, and th this is semi-related, but I feel like there's a, a couple of instances in this movie where he's, like, genuinely brave. I would say that's a characteristic of him. But in, like, a very, like, 
understated way, I guess. Well, not like exaggerated. I see what you mean. But like there's the bravado monologuing kind of brave. That's a sort of a facade. Sure. But then there's when he's just genuinely brave without saying much about it. Right. Yeah. But I think he is a brave character. I mean, I think so generally. Too. Well, yeah, since they can't threaten him personally, they decided to threaten his friends. And he immediately is like, Charlotte? And like, Ruben says, Oh, I like this. Is that your girl? And he's like, sort of not quite love <laughs> like, interest he kind of knows yeah and they say they're gonna kill her so he's like okay what do i have to do well ernest we're gonna need you to act <laughs> me what do you have ernest any experience <laughs> whatsoever with acting <laughs> this might be a stretch they just happened to find a guy who looked just like Nash, and on top of that, the passion. Yes, was a a consummate actor. Yeah, this is the scene where we just finished watching Family Album. Yeah, and the scene where Ernest is in the mirror trying to sound like a gangster tough guy is like a condensed version of Family Album. It is. Well, he, like, does, he does. All the voices do the, are yep. in there. <laughs> he does like Cagney. He does Walter Brennan. Uh-huh. He does. Uh, Stallone. Yeah. Humphrey Bogart. His Humphrey Bogart. That's a first. Of all the gin joints and all the cities and all the world, you've got to waltz into my place and shoot my brother. He's doing a variation of the line, you're the guy that shot my brother and I'm the guy that's going to shoot you. And he's saying it as multiple people. But when he does Humphrey Bogart, he says, play it, Sam. Piano will cover up the shot. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> it's just like hilarious to me. He does Irish guy. Uh-huh. He does military guy. Yeah. He does uh, what I'm assuming is like Errol Flynn or something. The British one? Well, you're the dirty scum sucking pig dog that shot my brother. And I'm the man who's going to destroy you. Um, a little Peter O'Toole? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, what it is. Okay. It's Peter O'Toole. And then also he does kind of like a Lloyd at the end. And he says, how about you? Oh, does he? I didn't pick yeah. up on that. And this is the moment where we see Lyle fall in love. <laughs> you know, uh, I was watching this and Matt, our guest from Haver and Disc 1, was in the room with me. Uh-huh. And every time Ernest and Lyle has the scene, there's just like sexy saxophone music that kicks in. <laughs> And we were like, wait, why is there... I don't know that it's sexy saxophone music. I mean, the music itself is sexy, even if the content of the scene is not. <laughs> the content's making it sexy to you. Yeah. You see the little twinkle in Lyle's eyes. He's watching Ernest do the impressions. Yep. That develops over the course of the movie. Lyle... You could like... say this is Lyle's movie, because he's the one with <laughs> no, the, you the arc. No, you couldn't say that. He Ernest does have an arc. Ernest comes to visit Lyle at jail. <laughs> oh, and then and then we actually see Charlotte meet Nash for the first time. Correct. Like, I guess Nash has spent the entire night in Mr. Pendlesmite's office. Because Charlotte comes in and finds him. And she's like, hey, if Mr. Pendlesmite sees you, he's going to be really upset in his cartoony way. And he's like, oh, yeah. Hey, I wouldn't let Mr. Pendlesmite catch me in his chair if I were you. And I'd get my feet off his desk because you know how he feels about his famous golf trophy. Yeah. I love the conversations he has with everyone. Yeah. Because they're so opposite Ernest and everyone just takes them. Yeah. He is nothing. Like, he's, you can't be more opposite Ernest than he is. And everybody just accepts it. He's trying something new. I mean, I, I guess the explanation of Ernest trying to actually take the advice that he's been getting and going ahead and being more responsible and moving up in the world, like people seeing this as his way to do that, uh, yeah. maybe is one way to, to, to explain why they're willing to accept that. I'll buy that. Actually, yeah, like that is a thing that is kind of set up. I actually like the way he reacts to her because you know he's a big scary criminal. But she comes in, she's not afraid of him because she thinks it's Ernest. And she's right. like, get your feet off the desk. And he, and he does. But it's like in a very like, I'm listening to you only because right. I don't want to be found out. 
I just like the way he plays, like, Nash absorbing everything that he's learning about Ernest's life. He just slowly walks everywhere to take it in. Yeah, there's a very clear, like, progression of him picking up on things. Doesn't she say something to him like, did you sleep in the, the vault again? He's like, again? And she's like, yeah, you kind of wake up there every day. Which is, yeah, the only way that we know he's in there every morning for some reason. Right. She doesn't comment on his hair at all. But then she says, hey... I had a nice time last night. And immediately you see like the little glint in Nash's eyes like, I might get laid. In this earnest movie. <laughs> I can get laid in this guy's life. <laughs> like, oh, free woman. Like that's the look on his face. And by the way, it, this is a thing in this movie that's for children. Every time Nash looks at her, he looks her over. Oh, really? Every time. I didn't pick up on that either. He's always looking the full length of her and then back up. And sometimes it's very overt, and sometimes it's not. But he's always kind of like glancing down, and it's like skeevy. Yeah. He says, I had a nice time too, baby. And she says, baby, Ernest, sometimes you can be so weird. And that's like, that might be like the least weird thing Ernest has ever said to her. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but anyway, back at the prison, Ernest pretending to be Nash is great because he's doing what his version of a tough guy walk is, which is like this stupid bouncy strut. And he's doing that thing that's like that you point at somebody's shirt and it's like you got something on your shirt and like points up to your nose. Like yeah. that's his idea. It's like of- grade school intimidation. <laughs> you get something on his shirt. But then some guy comes up and is like, hey, you said it's today we're going to arm wrestle. He says, you're not chicken, are you? And Ernest says, I don't know the meaning of the word chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. That's a nice subtle joke. Uh, so they're at the table. They're arm wrestling. He's wrestling this guy named Spider who has a spider tattoo in his forehead. And somebody yells, yeah, go Spider-Man. But it's it's just Spider-Man. Years before just, Disney just owned Marvel. Spider-Man, you're just saying Spider-Man. <laughs> And Lyle just threatens to, like, cut the guy's throat. Yeah, with some sort of, like, makeshift like knife. woodworking implement. Thing. Yeah. And so Spider lets Ernest win. So then they get out into the yard, and Reuben yells at Ernest, like, you should shut your mouth. The real Mr. Nash doesn't say much, which is true. That is true. And Ernest says, like, well, maybe he ought to. And he says something like, what do you know the pains an actor must go through? Yep, that's exactly and, what like, he says. What? So is he an actor? Yes. But he's also an inventor. Yep. So he's both? Yep, yep. Is this really, like, that shocking? I just... He says it like he's acted before. Like, he talks about his method. There was never a, hey, Vern, it's acting. Maybe the neighborhood that Ernest lives in, they put on some sort of local acting competition one day. You know what? Remember, this is the first Ernest movie we watched. So I came up with a theory after this movie that I think could still work because every movie is a different universe. Right. In this universe, what I think happened to Ernest, because invariably something happened to Ernest. That made him the way he is. Yeah. Yeah. I think in this movie, it was that he was an actor and he was in local productions and he was in a like a local production of King Lear or something. And then there was a terrible massacre at the theater. Like there was a horrible tragedy and everyone got killed. Something happened, right? Something terrible happened at this theater and Ernest was the survivor. It doesn't remember that part of his life, but he does occasionally he bursts into monologues as if he's an actor. And it's like residual stuff from that part of his life. The people in his life are far more used to the monologues in this movie. Yeah, they really There's are. There's a lot of people walking away. People walking away while he's monologuing. Yeah. That'd be fine. We'll pick, we'll <laughs> this pick is up. more for him than anyone else, and we're going to let him have it. So do you think his actor career was such an extended period of time that he is now blocking that for all intents and purposes, he has regressed to the age that he acts? Say, now see, that works. Yeah, I think you could make that argument since it was a solid 30 years of his life. And yeah, he's starting back up from before that happened. Yeah. Maybe 20 years, 20 years. I was going to say, I don't know if he's 
Not, Sorry, yeah. Jim. Yeah, I think that's what happened in this universe. I buy it. And in Christmas, similar, but it was a car accident. On the figure eight track? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, since we were kind of talking about deleted scenes, too, um, most of them seem like they were deleted for time. Yes. And you keep in mind, these were reinserted into the movie for a broadcast on NBC. A Correct. TV broadcast. Go on. Well, I was going to say, some of them are edited for time. Some of them are edited for content. And I think you that's think? the one. You think? Uh, just a tad. Okay. Uh, this scene. You know what? You say what this scene is, Chris. <laughs> uh... Well, Ernest Nash is visited in his cell by one of the uh, many friendly guards and told that he is a visitor yep. uh, of a specific sort and uh, is escorted to a lavishly decorated room with uh, nice furniture and silks. And There's a lot of silks. And a guy playing a saxophone yep. behind one of them. Because there's saxophone music. Well, not, not only is there saxophone music, there is a silhouette of an actual saxophone being played That's by right. a person. And then there's a, a woman waiting to see Nash, who is very demandingly affectionate <laughs> of him. She's got kind of like a Zool vibe. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, the guard goes to Ernest's cell and he says, it's time for your conjugal visit. Yes. Like he yes. doesn't even, they don't mince words. And no. Ernest even asks, what's a conjugal visit? I'm seven years old. Yeah. And then they take him to a room where a woman basically, he says, have we met, right? This is the creepy part is that he seems to know what's going on. Kind of. No, he, he knows. Because the, the door closes behind him and he turns around and there's a little window and he says, somebody help. Yeah. Pl he says, help, please. And he's pulled away. And then he is yanked away. And then he's removed from the room covered in what I would refer to as lipstick battle damage. <laughs> yeah. He's disheveled. His hat is all askew. You see his hair. He looks varnish. And he says, let's hear it for the criminal justice system. I don't know what to take away from this scene. What? Were they thinking? Uh, they were thinking... What? Uh, th this blew my mind. So first of all, in no movie for children should there be a scene where Ernest has sex. But especially a scene in which Ernest says, please help. And is then sexually assaulted. I would not assaulted. like this. So that it becomes, I don't want to say the word, but it, yeah, it is. Yeah. They insinuate afterwards that he enjoyed it. But do they? Because that was very unclear to me. Also, that was unclear to you. Okay, yeah, I legit could not tell if it was like sarcasm or not. I mean, that's that's unsettling. The whole scene is unsettling. <laughs> like, like, why? I mean, maybe they were just like, you know what? What's a good way that we could teach the children of America <laughs> what the phrase "conjugal visit" means? It just feels like there was like a checklist of like what are common prison things? all the prison, prison jokes. Prison jokes. Yep. Yikes. Someone had the foresight or the presence of mind to be like, yo, guys, let's take this out of the movie. That's true. Someone else then yeah. uh, was then like, hey, we're going to air this on network television during what I'm assuming <laughs> um, is the family hour. We need to pad it out a little bit. Should we put back in the earnest rape scene? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I cannot overstate how problematic this is. Oh, gosh. Well... We follow that with uh, Nash finally arriving at Casa Ernesto. He walks up to the house and Rimshot, little Rimshot, sort of jumps at him. Then Nash catches it. He's like, get off me, you little mutt. And he throws him down. And the little dog starts barking, this poor little dog. He's like a Terminator sensing dog. I think a dog would know. Right. The smell would be totally different. 
don't know what Nash smells like. Musk oil and (laughs) body odor, I assume. And so Nash goes into Ernest's house and sees the contraptions. Yep. And he says, this guy's better off in prison. I think he says, this is ridiculous. Does he say that? He says something to that effect. What I like is that the TV turning on contraption goes off because it's set to go off whenever Ernest enters. And it it shoots like a little rubber arrow. Yeah, it's like a dart gun. That is supposed to hit the TV. But Nash, the, the timing of his walk is wrong. A ball gets thrown at him. It's all part of the contraption. It's supposed to throw a ball, then hit a thing, it shoots a dart, and then the dart hits him in the head. And it's slapstick with Nash, but it's kind of like, after the scene, they were like, oh, slapstick just doesn't really work with Nash. Because he, or when Ernest gets hit, he's like, wah! But when Nash gets hit, he's just like, oh, I didn't like that. That was unpleasant to me. Like, he doesn't really react at well, all. I think anyone would tell you never interrupt a Rube Goldberg device. That's right. Uh, for your own safety. But I think one of the things I like about Nash as a character, apart from Jim Varney's performance, obviously, is he's like the, for lack of a better term, normal real world yeah. character well, who's like real, thrust yeah. into this like he's gritty he's like a cartoon gritty realism. nightmare yeah he's the one to have the perspective of saying like oh Ernest's house is ridiculous because we as the audience know it is but no one in the movie no one acknowledges it until right. Nash well that's one of my favorite things about Nash is like when absurd things happen everyone else just is like oh yeah and he's the only one that's like, what? Yeah, that's, that's exactly, yeah. Like, he's angry. And it it upsets him how absurd <laughs> yeah. things get. And so, speaking of Ernest, this is just a series of Ernest attempting to escape. He does a few things. He carves a machine gun a couple out of, of He soap. does so many things that a couple of them are deleted. But yeah, the first thing he does is that soap carving, which ties back to Hey Vern. Well, I immediately thought of that. And I was like, he loves soap carving. He carves a very realistic machine gun. Yeah out of soap and he threatens the guard he says hey come here I'll waste you open that door I'll waste you and then there's like a little the machine gun becomes flaccid essentially yeah the, imp- you, the impotence of I'm being telling earnest you this is adult males yeah what else does he do? Well, he tries to catapult himself out of the jail That's yard. Great. That's where he talks about his superior like grasp of engineering and that. Mathematics and geometry, yes. Yeah. The square root and angle of your lower hypotenuse times the angle of your pi. That sort of thing. And Lyle is helping him. Oh, yeah. He's Nash's muscle, but then he immediately becomes like Ernest's assistant. Lyle strikes me as the type of character who needs like... Oh, someone yeah. to follow. And maybe that's why he's he... the muscles. He's not the ideas. Right. And maybe that's why he comes around in the end because he's finally following someone who has like a genuine heart. good heart. Yeah. yeah. The catapult, by the way, is amazing because it's just a dummy. Very clearly it, just it is a very dummy. Clear. Yeah. Like, like this whole sequence seems the most Looney Tunesy. Oh, yeah. Of anything in the movie. And I feel like I could swap in Bugs Bunny or Daffy, probably Daffy Duck more for any of the stuff that's happening. He also tries to fish for the keys that the guard is wearing. And he gets not the guard's keys, but the guard's pants. And then the guard walks over and like drops these. They have a lot of fun with the big balls the, on like train. A ball and on, shackle kind of thing. Yeah. Ball and chain. There's another. There's a scene where Nash intimidates this guy that's like lying down lifting weights. And those two big balls are like, hanging over the guy's crotch. Yeah. They have a lot of fun you know, with those balls. You're definitely making a compelling case for <laughs> the the teenage uh, or a slightly older adult male I would humor say adult thing. Male. I think they were just like that's who watches the movies anyway. That's so, really fascinating to me. So that's why Ernest gets two balls and chains on both feet. The guard's he's like this will hold you. So this is your favorite scene. Go ahead. 
It's not my favorite scene, but it's my favorite of the Ernest in jail gags because because it's Auntie Nelda. And my immediate thought when I when I saw this scene was like because we've talked in the past about like if I was going to cosplay as Auntie Nelda, how would I do it? Like where would I get that dress? The answer is obviously I just need to go to jail. Like that that's (laughs) that's how I make the dress. And then we just cut to Ernest as Auntie Nelda walking towards the exit of the, the jail yard. Great. I think this is the first time I see that she's wearing like these stockings that have fallen completely down her <laughs> ankles. <that> yeah. <laughs> They're totally dangling down. But yeah, it's Auntie Nelda and I love her. <laughs> and of course, the tactic that he employs is to try to make the prison guard at the gate so uncomfortable, uncomfortable. that he lets her by. Her, like, let me out. I have a car overheating. Yeah. I brought him up as best I could. But sometimes a bad seed falls from even the most fragile flower. Ma'am, you're not going through this gate. Is this the way you treat your mother? He's great at it. Yep, and it almost works. And it's also striking because he puts on a a very big deal about acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he's not that good an actor. He is over the top in everything that he does. But when he's this woman... (laughs) <laughs> He's spot on as a performance of her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think he maybe he just doesn't know what a tough guy is. I, you know, I would believe that Ernest has experience. He has a frame with, of reference. With insane family members right. before yes. he has experience with legitimately intimidating people. His frame of reference is movies and TV. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to be an over-the-top bad guy if he has to play a bad guy. But if right. he has to play an actual person, he draws on the people that he knows. I think that's very well said. And it really does work. He's 90% of the way there. He's, he gets the guard to agree to open the gate, yep. which is very impressive. Yep. The only thing that foils him is that the balls on chains that he's been using as breasts yes. completely fall down. There's a nice little moment where Ernest just like, oh, they're this... both in a two shot and Ernest is just like glancing down at them and then back at the guard. And then he says, the doctor told me I'd only have to wear these until after the surgery. That That's too far for the guard. Yeah. It's over. I do appreciate that he attempted to still no, save he, face. he tried. Yeah. But, you know, by the way, at the bank, there's like two scenes where Bobby and Chuck are like showing Mr. Pendlesmite the new innovations in their security system. Like first they show him uh, an electrified cage that like falls down from the ceiling and has like, what did they say? Like 3,000 volts? No, like something absurd, like 200,000 volts Jeez. or like 20,000 volts. Way more electricity <laughs> than you would ever need. Yeah. Uh, but it is essentially Chekhov's cage. And then speaking of Chekhov's cage, Chuck actually then shows Nash a gun. It's like you hit a table and then like a drawer opens and a gun pops up. And Nash's reaction, like there's a close up of his eyes like glinting. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very like ridiculous reaction. And Bobby, by the way, is very upset because I guess he knows that Nash isn't earnest. It really is kind of like Wallace and Gromit. It's like the the penguin, like when Gromit is the only one who knows that the penguin is nefarious. But why isn't Bobby just saying that's not earnest? Up until later in the movie, my answer to that question would be because Bobby doesn't talk. But then... But, but then Bobby talks later and immediately throws that, I don't know. I don't know, Aaron. Well, back at the prison, Lyle is growing more and more fond of Ernest. There's actually like a sad scene that was like cut out, and I actually wish it wasn't, but like it was reinserted oh, yeah. back to the TV broadcast where he's sitting on the bed. He gets seriously introspective. He's sitting on the bed, and yeah, it's really like kind of sad. Like oh, yeah. He doesn't say anything wacky. He doesn't do anything wacky. He just says like... I thought my life would be different, but this is just like school. Like, instead of a principal, I have Mr. Pendlesmythe, and I still make bad grades. And he says, Charlotte's right. I just have to try harder. I wish I had another chance, but I don't. It's, like, really sad. As is often the case, 
Ernest is the best part of this movie. Yeah, well, of course he is. Yeah, but just like that scene in particular, it was one of the ones I felt like could have been put back in. Although there's another scene later that's like very similar, not as serious in its like tone as much as anything is serious in these movies. But like Ernest gets like genuinely like thoughtful. Totally. It's different from the rest of the movie. Right. But then the warden comes in and is like, how's our favorite prisoner doing or something like that? And Ernest is immediately like, oh, fine, thanks. Because like <laughs> he's unflappable. Yeah. He's in prison. He forgets that he's supposed to be Nash. Ruben hits him. And so he goes into his Nash voice. And it's it's ridiculous because he, he puts on the most ridiculous voice. He's like, I don't need nothing. I especially don't need nothing from no lousy screws. And the warden's just like, tough guy. Like, <laughs> he buys, he bought that. And I have something to say about the warden later where I literally laughed out loud at the oh, television. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Okay. Jack Napier is great. <laughs> So the warden says, he says, you'll be getting out soon horizontally. And he leaves and Ernest is really happy. He's like, I'll be getting out soon. I've got a feeling everything's going to turn out all right from now on. He's so sweet. And he he even says to Ruben, don't worry, Ruben, I'll put in a good word for you. Ruben has done nothing but kidnap him, terrorize him, and threaten to kill his loved ones. That's why you love him. Mm -hmm. Then there's a scene where Ernest is just outside. Like, now that he thinks he's getting out, he's really happy. And Mm -hmm. he's talking to Lyle. This hasn't been a really bad experience though i mean the food's good and i made a lot of new friends but now i'm ready to go back to my job and my dog you know i got a feeling everything's going to turn out all right from now on and lyle's just feels more and more guilty the subtext of the scene is pretty great they play it really well lyle like stomps off he gets so mad i think it's again that ernest is very vulnerable like it makes people want to protect him i feel like also only Ernest could make the best of prison. And yeah. I, I feel like there's some sort of like whimsical nature to like all of his activities in the prison. Well, yeah, his enthusiasm is, yeah, is exactly. infectious, yes. sort of. But then we go back to the bank. Nash is still pretending to be Ernest. He's reading like uh, stock. Oh, it's Barons. Barons, right, right. And Charlotte walks up and she says, everything is so clean. It's funny that you can tell Nash doesn't know anything about Ernest because he assumes the way to fit in is to do his job. Is, is to stay unnoticed and just do everything <laughs> that's asked of him. Yep. <laughs> It's like, okay, you clearly you know nothing about the man that you've swapped positions with. Here's something we, that we haven't spoken about. Okay. The fact that both Ernest and Nash are played by Jim Varney. How are children reading that exactly? There, there are plenty of other stories that are based on the same idea that are for really little kids, like The Prince right. and the Pauper, which there was like a Disney version of, right. stuff like that. Well, there was actually a thing that Jim Varney is doing as Nash that I really appreciated, which is that he's kind of like got like one eye kind of like squinting, squinting the whole time. time. And yeah. I was like, he's doing a really good job of maintaining that. Like, yeah. I feel like if I saw this when I was younger, I would not have been confused by that. Well, I've heard both. Interesting. I've okay. heard people say when I was a kid, I didn't realize it was the same actor. That's interesting. And I've heard people well say. Well done, Jim Varney. And I've heard people say, I didn't realize they were two different characters, huh. which is very upsetting considering some of the things Nash does in this movie. Yes. This is a movie where it's critical that Ernest without the hat is not Ernest. Yeah. Because Ernest oh. without the hat really is not Ernest. I think if Nash had the hat on the whole time, it would definitely it would, confuse children. That would be children. confusing, sure, yeah. sure. Because Charlotte, she comes in and she says, I'm really proud of you, which is what you tell a seven-year-old. She says that like three or four she times. She says a lot. She says a lot of things several times. Yeah. Mainly, you have to try harder and I'm very proud of you. Yes. And again, this is a thing where women in Ernest movies say... I'm proud of you. No, I believed you. That's why I made a note of it. So Nash stands up and he says, has the value of pride diminished? And he says, last time you're proud of me, I got a kiss. 
So she goes to kiss him on the cheek, and he... He grabs her and starts he making out. He swivels his head. He catches her. Yeah. Like, he turns his head so that he catches her on the lips, and he kisses her, and it's an uncomfortable moment. He, like, dips her. He picks her up. He, like, oh, does he? He, he pulls her, like, up to him, because he drops her, and she, like, goes down a few inches. I Maybe that's may have good. watched the scene, like, several times. But <laughs> what did you make of it, Chris? Um, It was pretty creepy. She did not react to him doing this as strongly as I kind of hoped that she would. I didn't know how to take this. I feel like she was more taken off She was very surprised. I think this shocked her. Yeah. Because like as soon as it's over, Nash gets called away. She like regains her composure. Yeah. She like takes a moment. I actually thought she did a great job in this scene. Oh, yeah. She played it so well. Like there's a moment where she, where you see her kind of like searching for the right reaction. Right. And she doesn't find it. She also does a thing where she kind of like looks around to be like, did everyone else see? (laughs) Not, not (laughs) Not in a way that's like, it didn't strike me as like embarrassment. It was moments more just like, did you guys see that thing that just happened too? She's very flustered. But I couldn't tell if she liked kissing him or not. I think she was just sort of like surprised yeah. and like caught off guard. Uh, she seemed disoriented. Yeah. There is like a little split second where she looks at him like she wants to say something, but she doesn't have the words yet. But she's yeah. about to say something and then he gets called away. It's a scene with a bunch of unsaid things being said. For a for an earnest for an movie, earnest movie yeah. it is very subtext reliant and I appreciate that. Yeah. But I, I have a friend who she said that when she saw this movie, she was like eight or something, and she knew that Jim Varney was Jim Varney the whole time and didn't actually realize that there were two different characters. So when she saw that, she was like, Ernest is kissing she was really confused i mean at that point in the movie she's probably really confused hopefully it's cleared up for her by the end yeah yeah oh and then, and then like mr pendlesmith kind of offers the job that bank clerk job to nash yeah he thinks is earnest they deleted the scene where there's actually a whole job interview where where mr pendlesmith says you have like no qualifications whatsoever and an abysmal work record so i can't actually hire you and then he realizes nash is reading barons yeah and there's this weird moment where they both like are excited about like hostile takeovers they're both like super skeevy like yeah. both like yes crush the poor yeah. yeah he's like well i can i can give you a job then but i also think this scene is nice it is kind of nicer with the deleted part just because i almost feel like it's where nash realizes oh wait a second to fit in and be innocuous in the role of Ernest, uh, I need to screw up. Yeah, like, I can't. Right. I can't be given you're this right. thing. I mean, he, he's been inferring things about Ernest's right. life for okay. this whole time, but it just takes him a while to get to there. I this think. is this I appreciate because it's the only time that Nash tries to act like Ernest. He never tries at all. Well, I mean, it also seems like he doesn't want the promotion because he wants to keep working the night shift because that's important. That's why he the, d- yeah. 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 So he sees Mr. Pendlesmith's golf trophy and he smashes it, and you hear Mr. Pendlesmith like use my my golf trophy and this is where the only time that nash vaguely tries to pretend to be earnest is he walks out and he goes gosh mr pendles might does this mean i don't get the job giving the minimum effort required (laughs) to earnest and it works yep he walks out and then charlotte is like did you do that on purpose and he's like He'll get over it or something like that. He's not even trying anymore. And then so Charlotte's finally like, you're acting really weird. We need to discuss your weirdness. And then he does that thing again where he looks the whole length of her. You didn't notice this? No. It was so creepy. He looks like all the way down her and looks all the way back up. And he's like, okay, but it has to be early. What, you have a lot to clean? Yeah. Tonight I'm going to clean out the whole place. He constantly says things like this that nobody picks up on. Yeah. 
I mean, that's for audience benefit. I appreciate it. I really like the actress that's playing Charlotte. Her name is Barbara Bush, by the way. You know, one of my first notes was that uh, Barbara Bush was in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But The next scene, the guards come to Ernest's cell to take him away to the electric chair. This, again, broke my heart because... Jim Barney does such a good job of playing Ernest to look so vulnerable that you don't want them. Just his body language and the expression on his face is very innocent. Yeah. And he's sitting there innocently, as innocently as anyone can look. And they come in and he's like, we're going to take you now. <laughs> Again, he doesn't know he's going to go to death row. You're going to the row. The row? Well, what's that? As in death? And that's where he does the thing you like, where he say he has like five different things to call death row. I don't know that I like it, but I didn't notice it. It feels like a very 80s joke. But it feels very earnest because it involves complicated ways to say simple things. Yes. And he says the groundhog's bringing you your I mail. Did, I did notice that. And I was like, okay, that's a thing. He says it in the ads, in the anti-smoking one. Uh, <sighs> that comes up in this movie too. Yeah. He says the groundhog's bringing your mail. He also says you're picking turnips with a stepladder. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah, there are a few in a row. I refuse to believe that that's like uh, a, a generally accepted idiom. No one has no ever, one's said, ever said you're picking turnips with a yeah. step ladder. That being said, I do like it. <laughs> you hear him saying like, I remember P. Worrell as he's like getting dragged away. And then we go back to Nash and Charlotte, who are having that discussion that they talked about. Well, this scene confused me right from the beginning. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, is this Ernest's house? Yes. And it, it is. It's Ernest's house, but Nash has like covered all the walls in like curtains. It feels very boudoir. It's a converted sex pad. I wrote yeah. down Charlotte finds Ernest's converted sex pad. I think if Charlotte actually saw Ernest's real house, she would say, oh, I know how I can help. Him because you'd immediately know what he was good at. Right. But she comes in and there's this like sleazy music playing that I think is a song that Bruce Arnson wrote because there's a song in the credits that just says like Nash Sleaze. I'm like, it's got to be the song that's, that's playing great. in the sex pad. He's hung up paintings of like bullfighters. Is that what that was? I was yeah. trying really it's hard to discern. They're bullfighters. I feel like it's a not so subtle like um, domination. Yeah, it's like a yeah weird like domination reference. It's weird. It's a creepy pad. He's wearing a robe. He is. He's got like a not dinner jacket. A, Smoking. Yeah. Smoking jacket, uh, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. And by the way, on this table is a picture of him with a gun. What? Oh, Wait, man. Wait, just like this or something? He's or? just like holding it like this. That's, that's like, crazy. You didn't... No. Oh, man, I wish I had pointed it out. With your gun? And his hair isn't slicked back. So I was like, is that just a picture of Jim Varney holding a gun? I would believe or that. Or is it Nash? <laughs> It just looks like a photo of Jim Barry just holding a gun up for no reason. That's so bizarre. When Nash is pouring the wine, just uh, freeze it. And yes, there's a photo on the stand. It's a framed photo of Jim Barney holding a gun. I'll have to look for that. And she's like, well, this isn't what I expected. And he's like, sit down, like have a drink. And they sit down. And the second instance, or depending on how you view the kiss scene, the third instance of sexual of, assault uh, occurs. Non-consensual acts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't even know that I have that much a problem with this scene, actually. Because they very clearly were like, this is bad. That is true. The tone and the framing of the scene does give us that impression, unlike the deleted Ernest right. conjugal right, visit right. scene. This Correct. is a very deliberately a scene to show that Nash is a very bad guy. Correct. So you sit down on the couch. Nash, again, he's looking everywhere but her eyes. She, I do like the scene where she, he wants to toast and he says, To the successful completion of all of tonight's endeavors. 
Yeah, real subtle she's mesh. Like, she's like, to a long and happy life. Yep. And like, <laughs> like tries to brush it off. It's funny because she spent this whole movie like not being afraid of Nash because she thinks he's earnest. I mean, she's definitely catching on. But she's getting more and more uncomfortable. Yeah. And this scene is like the height of that absolutely. discomfort. Absolutely. She says, uh, I just wanted to talk about the thing that happened earlier today, which I guess is the kiss. Yeah. And he says, we could talk later and just mounts her. Yeah. She rebuffs his advance. In, well, yeah, as, as much as she can. Yes. With a man on top of her. Right. It's upsetting, but there is a shot where they kind of cut wide and she is struggling against him, but he's not actually like doing anything. Jim Barney isn't actually like pushing her or anything. Like it's it's not as violent as it could be because they're kind sure. of measuring it for this is a family movie, I guess. But then like the little dog runs out, Rimshot runs out. Right. He can smell lasciviousness. <laughs> yeah. Unwanted lasciviousness. He runs out. And he rescues Charlotte. He starts biting Nash's, like the bottom of Nash's pants, which very much upsets him. Right. And Charlotte finally says, you are a slime, Ernest P. Worrell. Which made me sad that Ernest's reputation his, got... His good name has yeah, been tarnished. By a rape attempt, of all things. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like it's really easy shorthand. Uh, yes. For this is a bad person. This is a thing bad people do. Yeah. This is a scene where the villain attempts to take advantage of a woman physically and then throws a dog in the garbage. Like, oh, yeah. Those are the two <laughs> easy shorthands yep. for this is a bad person. Like, That's right. if they could get away with him twirling a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about you. He throws Rimshot in the garbage. Yeah. It's so, it's so sad. He's holding the little dog by the scruff. Yeah, that wasn't cool. He put the dog. I mean, he puts him very carefully in. Like, as far as Jim Barney is concerned, right. he carefully puts the dog in the garbage bin. But Nash... I mean, it doesn't, but, ma- it doesn't like, matter. You're putting Nash a dog in a garbage bin. Yeah. But yeah. But then we go back to Ernest, who is now awaiting his death. So he he's just waiting for death in a yeah. cell alone. Yep. And then Ernest does this epic monologue. My note on this monologue was just, geez, I have the whole thing written down if you'd like me to read it. If you'd like to read it. So it's come to this, a pointless, miserable end to a shallow, meaningless life. But it's as it should be. It's the hand I've been dealt, and I have to play it as it lays. Oh, I'm not going to cry because life's thrown me a curve. I'm not going to whine because I got mashed potatoes when french fries is what I really wanted. It's time for me to step up to the plate, belly up to the bar. It's time for me to look fate. Square in the eye, flare my nostrils, breathe life's last breath. It's time for me to lie down with lions so I can soar with the eagles. All right, I'm ready. Come and get me. Let's do it. You could just see Jim Barney enjoying the crap out of saying those words. Oh, yeah. Like he. Th- by the way, there's a shadow of death yes. like there's a literal person holding a scythe the there's silhouette of the grim reaper is in the background <laughs> as ernest gives this monologue and there's a big shadow behind i like actually watching Ernest's shadow he's casting a large shadow like above him yeah. he's doing all these big theatrical gestures and it, it looks great in silhouette i have many notes that i wrote just in the middle of this monologue yeah some of which is man Ernest is great and jim varney is amazing yes he is uh i also wrote Best monologue scene. You know, we talk a lot about 
when Ernest gets theatrical and when he gets intense, and especially about like the people in his life and history and things like that, how much of it is him really believing it? How much of it is lying? How much of it is delusion? How much of it is like the members of his family having raised him in an insane way? Right. And for this monologue, once he finished it, I was like, does Ernest actually believe what he's saying? Or is this just like what you say when you're on death row? And I that's think, why he's saying it. I think he is monologuing to comfort himself. Okay, I that's buy that. That's how he comforts himself. That's mainly how Ernest copes with everything. That's true. Is to monologue about that's true. it. It's a weird coping mechanism to develop, but somehow he's developed it. I guess it just made me think about other monologues where it's like, where is this coming from, Ernest? And it felt very much like Ernest's pulling things from pop culture and television and like, oh, I'm in this situation. This is what you say when you're in that situation. So I should say that. Especially like the, the pulling the idioms one after the other after the other. After right. The other. It feels like he's like recycling stuff that he's heard other people say elsewhere in like defining moment situations. Right. He must have like a very active TV film viewing life. Oh, I would Well, imagine. I mean, he automatically turns on the TV whenever he goes home. That's right. That's so, right. Like, that's the action of someone who just watches a lot of TV. And I think he watches a lot of films. Right. Because he does his bogey and his Peter O'Toole. Walter Brennan. And his Walter Brennan, of course. Well, you get the sense that Ernest watches those things and lives vicariously through all of them. And then sure. he wants his life to be like that. And he kind of likes to imagine that he is one of those characters. Yeah. Even though he is. Like, I feel like I question things a lot that make you, Aaron, say, like, Ernest isn't a liar. And I agree with that. But I'm always trying to, like, find different ways to, like, interpret where he's pulling stuff from and why he says some of the things he says. Yeah. And I think this monologue in particular made me think about that a well, lot more. it's both. He's doing it to comfort himself and he's doing it with things he's pulling from other right. things he's seeing about what brave people say. Right. Exactly. So that he can be brave, too. Yep. But he doesn't really want to die. So the, the guard comes over to take him away and he just deflates. He's like, I don't want to die. Yep. And then this is a scene that I think would be frightening to children where they're dragging him towards the room. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, having your main character in your movie for kids be dragged to an execution room is <laughs> uh, an interesting choice to make. And yeah, they don't try and sugarcoat it. It's made to look scary. I do like the sign on the electrocution chamber, which is like a bathroom it sign. Is, yeah. Only there's like a lightning bolt I on feel it. I feel like this movie was the way a lot of kids learned what capital punishment was also. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> like, that's crazy. This is an earnest movie. Unconjugal visits if they watch the TV broadcast. Right. The electric chair seems really big. Like, it seems it's like, like a throne. It it's an seems throne. like a, what an adult chair would be to a child. It gets very horror movie-esque, but like old horror movie. Yeah, it feels, scene. yeah. It's revealed like it's Frankenstein. It's all this purple lighting. There might as well be a lightning strike when you see it. I can't even remember if there is one, but there there's, like a, there's like a musical lightning strike. It goes, bah, 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 when you see yeah. the chair. It's terrifying. And it's terrifying. <sighs> you know what's weird? There's a guy. <laughs> wait, I'm sorry. Wait. Did you just legitimately just ask, For do I know movie. what's weird in this movie? Go ahead. There's a guy fixing the electric chair. Who for a second? And somebody's going, is it fixed yet? And he's like, hang on. Well, see, that confused me too because initially I thought that guy fixing the chair was Lyle. And I was like, is he in disguise? But he's on Ernest's side. No. Is he going to like spring him or something? No, maybe it was a discussion. They were like, like, well, how could he possibly survive an electric chair? And then we'll say, we'll have somebody say that it's not working right. That, that, that's what I think it that's is. That's what happened. <laughs> And then they're setting up the chair and the guard that's holding Ernest asks him if he wants anything. He asks him if he wants... A cigarette. He says, yeah. do you want a blindfold or a cigarette? He says, no, I'm afraid of the dark, which is funny. 
And then he says, cigarettes will kill you. Cigarettes will kill you. The joke is that he's about to die. So it doesn't matter if cigarettes kill him. But I never until like the seventh viewing did I pick up on that being a joke because I was just so upset by the reality of what happened after to Jim Barney. I was just like, ah, no, I had all the reactions you just described, but just in like a span of like 10 seconds. Yeah, it was it's the worst. This is a really, I, again, understatement of all time. This is a really weird scene. <laughs> it, again, he starts monologuing well, to comfort him. That's what I'm telling you. It's a coping mechanism. Right. Well, this is like the last ditch effort to be like, guys, no, but for real this time, he I'm earnest. He does say, yeah, I'm earnest. Uh, if I can read this part that I wrote down also, he says, and what is an earnest, you might ask? A man with a past rich in both history and tradition. Should we punish this man for crimes he did not commit? No, 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 no. Such a man should be set free. He sits down very theatrically. He, like, throws his arms up and, like... The thing you just did looked kind of like Doctor Who, which just feeds back into the, <laughs> the theory about Ernest being the doctor. He grand, he sits down like he's a king right. in the chair. Like, he sits down like it's a throne, like a throne, which is great. And he gets electrocuted. And I love when Ernest is electrocuted because of the sound he makes. <laughs> he does it for such a long time. <laughs> People are smiling when he gets electrocuted. I I wrote that he becomes some sort of electro-zombie. I wrote, why is he walking like Frankenstein's monster? Oh, well, that's because Frankenstein's monster comes to life through electricity. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's That's the thing. They they hoist him up on the thing, they pull the rope, then he gets electrocuted. Oh, good grief. He's alive. It's too too high-minded for me. I think everything, he becomes magnetized again. Right. They think he's dead. They're all like laughing. It's very disquieting. Then like his head lifts up and his eyes are opening. They're all like, what? And then metal things start sticking to him. And then he gets up like Frankenstein's monster. He raises his arms and they're all like, run. I don't know why you're now terrified. I mean, they should be terrified of him because apparently he can shoot lightning bolts from his hands now, which he wasn't able to do before. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. But this isn't immediately apparent until he bursts out of the door, and then just starts exploding the prison. Somewhere between the electric chair room and outside of the prison yard, he goes from being Frankenstein's monster into just being the emperor. Moving for Star Wars. Yeah. Somehow he's causing some kind of prison riot because there's prisoners running around. I assume that the magnetism... He's opening doors. some doors. Yeah. Okay. It's chaos. He's like zapping like guards off of like towers and stuff. Yeah. He gets. And he does it kind of accidentally. Like, cause when they come out, they point guns at him and he kind of throws his arms up like defensively and lightning right. shoots out of his hands. Well, at first it's defensive. And then he sort of gets what I wrote down as electricity bravado where he, he's like, oh, it worked before. He literally says it worked before. Which felt like an ADR line that they were like, dubbed. this needs to be clear. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Then he becomes Electro Man, as he dubs himself. As he calls it. Yeah, he does all these, like, they look like martial arts moves. Or like Elvis. shooting, and yes, yeah, some kind of Aikido move or something. Right. Shoots lightning in all directions. And he shoots at the prison doors and explodes a hole in them. And then Ruben intercepts him. Right. And he says, careful, Ruben, I'll zot you. That's what he's decided it's called when he shoots lightning at people. This is another thing that comes up a lot with Ernest, which is right when he needs something to work, it doesn't. 
because he tries to uh, zot Ruben, as he said. He tries, but it just kind of dribbles out of his hands. It's like, it's really sad. You watch like the little sparkles fall down and that's his power. Yeah. He's not a superhero anymore. Right. He's about to, or he thinks he's about to get pummeled by Ruben. But then he's saved by Lyle. Yeah. Lyle's, Lyle's arc comes full circle. <laughs> that's right. There's a nice exchange where Ernest is about to escape the prison and Lyle says, Ernest, things won't be the same without you. You know what I mean? If anybody does. And Ernest is like, Lyle, you talk. That's great. And this is where the saxophone music (laughs) kicks in again. You're right. Okay. (laughs) But it's not sexy saxophone. It's more like emotional saxophone music. And he says, I'll send you a cake. Which I thought was a funny joke. And he runs out. And, like, guards chase after him. Like, a bunch of guards also catch Lyle, but he's not doing anything. Like, he's just standing there, and, like, five guards run up, and they're like, we got you! And, like, go on top of him, and, like, he's just standing literally, there. You literally <laughs> made no attempts to uh, resist, but we did it. And then the warden is like, chase after him! No one's ever escaped this prison. Untrue. Yeah, and so Ernest escapes, and the first place he goes is home right yeah because he has to change into his yep yep cartoon wardrobe <laughs> which we've already established he has only that and multiple copies of it no i wish we had seen nash going into that room and finding only those clothes and being like really like <laughs> i wish i wish we had had that scene after charlotte leaves uh Ernest's house when nash is there and they have the scene that we already discussed yeah. i guess her car breaks down yeah she makes some comment about like first Ernest and now this <laughs> And it's like, I. And then she has to, like. She almost does yeah, she kind gets of like. a flat tire, I think. She almost, like, monologues to herself a little bit. Yeah. She's like, Charlotte, you're being a victim. You are not a victim. She's like, I have to tell Ernest how I feel. And I have to do it while I'm still mad. Right. I wouldn't be less mad about that the next day, but, True. you know. <laughs> Why does she go to the bank to find him instead of back to Ernest's house? She assumes he's working. Okay. He's supposed to be working. Thank you, Chris. You're right. Okay, well, then I don't know why Ernest goes home instead of to the bank. Oh, Ernest goes home to change. Yeah. Okay. He, that wasn't a joke. He literally he goes literally, home to change. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> he I, has I, to wear I took that as his humor. clothes. Gotcha. He also finds his dog in a garbage yes. can. <laughs> what kind of person would throw away a perfectly That's good dog? A great line. Yeah. He's genuinely questioning. Yeah. Why someone would throw away a perfectly good well, dog? Well, I mean, we know what kind of person. <laughs> yeah, Nash is at the bank, like setting a time bomb, by the way. And he's doing it, like, without being sneaky. Like, Chuck and Bobby are there. And he's just doing it in front of them. Yeah. He, at this point, has no respect for anyone at the bank's intelligence. Right. So Chuck walks up and is like, What are you doing? And he's like, I am robbing this bank. And he says it a few times. He says times. it like a bunch of times. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like, great. And Chuck starts laughing. And Nash is great because he does this laugh like, ha 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 ha. And then he knocks Chuck over the head with a club or something. It's like a flashlight, I thought. And Bobby, meanwhile, is like backing away slowly. Yeah. And backs all the way out of the bank, I guess. (laughs) So then Nash ties up Chuck and Charlotte to the vault that has the bomb attached to it. Charlotte goes into the bank. She sees Nash setting up a bomb on the vault. And she calls Mr. Pendlesmith. Yeah, that confused me. I was like, oh, she's calling the cops. Oh, no, she's calling she's the like, Mr. boss. Mr. Pendlesmith. Okay. And then Nash walks up and catches uh, her. her. Yeah, yeah. my notes just say, Charlotte, call the police, not your boss. Yep. She's a weird character. She's really like a mind over matter character. Or she's like a... No, I get what you're saying. She has like kind of like a like a new age sort of thing. Like, if you believe it, you can achieve that's, it sort of yes, thing. Yes, that's exactly it. Ernest is running on foot towards the bank at this point with his dog. Right. At the bank, yes. She keeps talking to Nash, who she thinks is Ernest. She keeps saying, Ernest, don't do this. And Nash is finally like, I'm not 
Ernest. Yeah, I just look like him. Well, he says something then that I think is very telling from a broad perspective of Ernest, which is, would the real Ernest be able to set a time bomb without it going off in his face? Like, that's so, like... <laughs> on point like because if the real Ernest set up a time bomb that's exactly what would happen yeah I mean he's literally walked a mile in Ernest's shoes at this point (laughs) that's true that's true he says do you notice how clean the floors have been lately and that's what makes her believe him and she asks where Ernest is he's dead by now what do you mean he's dead? I don't believe you what have you done with him and that's a very reasonable thing if somebody's like Ernest is dead I'd be like are you sure (laughs) <laughs> did you but did you check? Yeah. Again, this is a comment on the criminal justice system. He says your your dedicated public servants put him in the chair. Yeah. Hours ago. Well I'll be seeing you, sweetheart. <laughs> or rather I'll be seeing parts of you. <laughs> parts of you. <laughs> I felt bad because she looked so upset. Wouldn't you be? Of course. Yeah. But Ernest does arrive. Yeah. With Rimshot. He tells Rimshot to be quiet. That's true. And then they run in and Rimshot barks like a ton immediately. <laughs> like, Rimshot, you're blowing this. But Ernest runs in. They think it's Nash and they start kicking him. Yeah. Charlotte says that thing. It's like, you hurt Ernest like the sweetest man in the world. Yeah. He's like, oh, thanks. And, but she still thinks it's Nash. Right. But this is where the two, uh, Ernest and evil Ernest, come face to face. Nash comes out and he's like, oh, I thought you were dead. Ernest is like, not yet, which is like not the most intimidating thing you can say back to them. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a very convincing Ernest fight. Yeah. Just like a stuntman from behind and then Jim Varney and they keep reversing. And that really works. Well, I mean, there's lots of, Jim Varney's had lots of practice playing characters against himself in the Ernest franchise. We, this, sh- we this, should say. The movie just goes haywire I was, I was just gonna from say, this point on. It, yes. It's just, it's, from this point on, it is just chaos. Yes. I don't even know how to describe this. A crazy amount of things happen. Watch the movie, guys. Okay. Uh, well, the first thing that happens is that they're fighting. They're, and Ernest is not as good at fighting as Nash is. He gets punched a lot. You don't really see Ernest land a punch, but you see Nash land a lot of them. And Ernest gets, like, knocked to the ground. And then Bobby comes into the bank and says, freeze, punk. Yeah, Bobby Which is, like, talks. the weirdest thing ever. Because I've never heard Bobby's voice before that moment. Yep. And then there's this weird, like, Bobby. Bobby and Nash have, like, this face off yeah it's like a standoff they have a standoff i like the music in this scene a lot yeah camera's like orbiting both of them it's very tense and the only thing that foils bobby is that the police show up outside and they set in these useless dogs that like run in and don't do anything other than knock bobby over yeah and you're like all right thanks thanks k9 unit and to Bobby's credit, he does shoot the gun out of Nash's hand. Oh, yeah. All that target practice against the front door paid off. But the electric cage comes down. Chuck and Bobby try to, like, set down the electric cage to catch Nash, but it doesn't. So then Nash just uses it. He just grabs Ernest and he throws him against the cage, at which point Ernest is electrocuted again. Yep. It's great, because then Nash says, It looks like one way or another this was just his night to fry. <laughs> and then Ernest, who's been lying on the floor, then, like, twitches, like, Argh. And the look on Nash's face when that happens is, like, one of the best moments. Like, he literally cannot comprehend what just happened. And then Ernest floats up into the air. Well, as Chuck tells us, he's polarized. His body is completely weightless. What is polarized? It means science increase no, flash gordon noise polarized? and put more science stuff around what is what all, all, it, it means that he's so magnetic that he repels the ground i think that's what they're trying to tell that's us what yes. Yes. that's what they're trying to say yes that's what they're trying to imply that's not happened. what polarized is no 
But that's what they're trying to imply. Believe it or not, this scene is not rooted is, in is any real-world physics. Chuck no. is not an actual scientist. <laughs> no. In our defense, Chuck is barely a security guard. <laughs> and then Chuck's like, gravity has lost its grip. I just, that's again, what being weightless I'm just means, watching Chuck. Nash. Because Nash, he's looking at Ernest Float, and he glances over at Chuck and Charlotte, who are still tied up. He glances at them like, are they seeing this too? Like, yeah. he's confused, but it's also tinged with irritation. Like, he's irritated that any of this is happening. He's disbelieving and irritated. I mean, this is the most cartoony you can possibly get. This is the part where the movie stops and there's just another series of gags again, <laughs> where every flying or magnet <laughs> gag that you can imagine happens. It's, this is, it's nice bookends. Yeah. It's chaos all over the screen. Nash is like, oh yeah, well, I'll show you polarized. He actually says, I'll show you polarized. He grabs Ernest's feet and like swings him around. That's not what polarized there's is either, There's these weird Nash. shots. Nash doesn't know what it means. Nash, he goes, also not a scientist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, so there's a part where Nash is like punching Ernest and I guess because of his weightlessness, he keeps uh, popping back up <laughs> yeah. in the way that I imagined he should have being a cartoon when he fights that guy oh, in camp. Oh, yeah. Like, it's exactly what I that's you, that's assumed. That's what you pictured. And, I mean, possibly subconsciously, I was remembering this scene, even Maybe, though I hadn't yeah. seen this film in a long time. But it turns out that Ernest popping back up is a terrible thing because he yeah, just keeps getting he's punched. Keeping hit. Jump up, jump up, jump up. Stop it! But he is, again, unkillable. You have to admire that Nash is using the fact that Ernest is now weightless to the best... Advantage he can. He's adapting to the insane (laughs) situation that he's in admirably. I would... Yeah. Did you see the deleted scene, by the way, with Chuck and the cat? The, the confession. The weird confession about I'm about to die. Oh, and yeah. To... That was disturbing. Like, I fed Bobby's cat, like, a bunch of Halloween candy, candy or something. Yeah. He's like, I got to confess something before I die. He's talking to Charlotte. He says, I did something real bad. I took all of Bobby's Halloween candy and I fed it to his kitty. And the kitty got really sick. <laughs> and and Charlotte just goes, um, like, yeah. <laughs> Charlotte's reaction to that is the best thing ever. <laughs> Don't. That is what breaks her. That's her breaking point, absolutely. <laughs> oh, she puts up with a lot, but the Halloween candy kitty yep. story no. is what did it. Yep. The time bomb is still ticking, by the way. Yeah. I think something weird happens where Ernest somehow gains control of the fact that he can float around. Like at some point. He... Uh, yeah, he starts showboating, essentially. What really takes it to the height of absurdity is that now Ernest is flying around. He says, Peter Pan, eat your heart out. And Ernest somehow hits the switch on the floor polisher that is still in the bank. The floor polisher rushes towards Nash and drives him, literally drives him up a wall. Yep. And across the ceiling, just like Ernest in the beginning. And so now you've got one Jim Varney, like, floating in the foreground and another Jim Varney, like, hurtling towards the camera being dragged around by a floor polisher, which is the, the height of chaos on the screen. This is where I kind of checked out of the movie. Because <laughs> it's just nonsense. And then, like, the way that Ernest finally wins is to float over to where Nash is and turn off the floor polisher so that Nash falls from the ceiling. A fall that would surely kill a man who is not a cartoon. Yeah. I was like, you're a terrible person, but I am also concerned for your life right now. I was also worried about Nash. Yeah. Because I do enjoy Nash. And sure. then he fell, I was like, oh, no, no I was con- I was concerned in the way that's like, Oh, human. Ah. <laughs> I mean, if he's caught by the police again, they will kill him. Yeah. That's fair. There's not really There's not... much of a lifespan ahead sure. for Nash. Well, that's when Charlotte and Chuck are like, 
Ernest, the bomb. Like, stop right, flying. There's a freaking bomb. Yeah. yeah. There is some nice flying stuff where Jim Varney, like, he's like, oh, okay, I'm coming. And he, like, uses the ceiling to, like, push off. Like, yeah, almost like yeah. he's swimming. There's a hilarious part where Nash punches Ernest upward and he goes flying up and his head just, like, hits the ceiling. Like, it mm. bonks it. And he, he has a really stupid look on his face and it made me, it made me laugh. Those are the parts where you kind of see how, how uh, flimsy the set is. <laughs> It's like uh, I think the budget was all in the electricity animation. It was all in that bank, man. Like that whole set they had to build. It's not a location. You're right. Well, yeah. So then they're like, "Okay, Ernest, the bomb." Like yep. it's got like ten seconds on it. He says, "Don't worry, Charlotte. I'll save you." Chuck is there too, Ernest. And you. He drops down. He grabs the bomb and just pulls it off like it's taped on. Bombs are magnetic too. And then he flies through the glass ceiling, like a crashes, skylight. yeah, and out of the bank into the sky this is saying my... up up and away this is one of my favorite parts yeah i know what you're gonna do. this is where i this is the the <laughs> loudest is... i laughed in the entire movie yeah i know what you're gonna say so ernest grabs the bomb flies out through the skylight <laughs> and then cut to the outside where uh, all the police are there and the warden sees ernest fly into the sky with the bomb in his hand and goes he's getting away <laughs> I can't stand. That wrote, is not an appropriate reaction to a man flying. I just wrote in all caps, quote, he's getting away. What are you talking about? Uh, and that's when Ernest, I believe, explodes in like a firework. Yeah, he uh-huh. explodes. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck and Charlotte are visibly shaken by that. If Ernest had been blown up, that would have been terrible. And there would have been little Ernest parts raining down on everybody. Sure. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Not necessarily. Happen. Those parts still are polarized. So they probably just float <laughs> off into the sky. <laughs> That's accurate. That's accurate science. Yeah. By this point, I was thinking, I did not know um, that The Dark Knight Rises was so heavily influenced by Ernest Goes to Jail. Have you seen The Dark Knight Rises? Wait, no, wait, no, I haven't. Oh, oh wait. well then, yeah. never mind. Oh my god, wait. It's totally 1960s Batman. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I thought, I thought that was the only influence. What? Uh, oh, that makes me happy. Ernest runs out and there's like nuns and then ducks. <laughs> yeah. ducks. So yeah, Ernest flies into the sky, explodes. Mr. Pendle Smythe shows up. Finally, he the, arrives. The police come in. He, and he's like, he's been here. I know his work. Like, wait, are you talking about Ernest? Yeah. Like, okay. Charlotte has had it. Ernest is dead. Like, this, there's no point in living anymore. There's no point holding on to Don't want to live in a world without Ernest. Me either. She goes, she goes to Mr. Pendle's wife and she's like, Ernest, save your bank with all your stupid money, your stupid bank. Well, because she says he was a hero. Yeah. And he says, maybe you're right. Does he know that Ernest exploded? I mean, there was an explosion in the sky. It's a safe assumption that a man was in that explosion. <laughs> yeah. You know, that blur looks like it has a khaki hat and a <laughs> denim vest. I wonder. He's getting away. <laughs> so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> That's the best reaction to anything so in this stupid. movie. That's the best. He's getting away. <laughs> No. So then Nash, who's been unconscious up to this point, Nash gets up and points a gun at them and is like, not so fast. That girl's my ticket out of here or whatever. But like, as Nash is talking, you hear the tight, the faintest sound of like, ah. And then like, he gets louder and louder and louder. And you hear Ernest screaming all the way down. And then he falls back down. The charred body of Ernest P. Worrell. <laughs> he falls back down on top of Nash, knocks him unconscious. By the way, at this point, if I was Charlotte, at this point, if I had not been into Ernest, I would be now that I saw him grab a bomb, fly into the sky, explode, then fall back down, 
relatively unharmed. Oh, sure. I'd be like, well, that's it. Then How can you beat that? Yeah. And then he says his final line, taking the DVD Blu-ray version. Right. The final line being, I came, I saw, I got blowed up. Yes. Which is, I suppose, an interesting button to end on. But I don't like it as much as the actual ending. It's a good button from a scene perspective. Yeah, but not a movie perspective. From If you assume that this whole compilation of insanity is a movie, <laughs> which I think it is, having the wrap-up at the end with Ernest is key. Yeah, it's called a, a resolution. Yes, epilogue. Closure. Things that happens at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the end of the movie that's deleted. It fades out from Ernest blowing up, and it fades back in... At the bank. Yeah. Chuck and Bobby are still pitching like new security measures to Mr. Pendlesmith. It's like a, a computerized security system. And Ernest has gotten the bank clerk job. Yeah. He's sitting at the desk. He's and got he's a tie. got a great tie. It's great. <laughs> it's so sweet. And Charlotte walks up and she, again, she talks to him like a seven-year-old. She's like, you got a lot of responsibility now. She's almost kind of like a teacher in some I'm ways. Tell you, yes, yeah. she does. Yeah. She's like, you got a lot of responsibility now. But I'm going to help you in any way I can. And he says... No need to worry about the kid. I took that more as like... New guy. The, the kid, yeah, like the... I know. Okay. But she does still treat him like a kid. Yes. And then he starts into another monologue about how he's a bank clerk now. And she literally just like sees that he's starting a monologue, pats him on the shoulder and just walks away. I love it. <laughs> she just walks away while he's still talking. Yep. Like she's <laughs> And then uh, Ernest starts to type on his computer. How does that electrocute him? Uh, because the security measures put in by Chuck and Bobby oh, electrified we all together. the computers. Okay, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, but so he gets electrocuted by the keyboard, and immediately it was like, "Oh no!" and starts like checking all the metal items this on his is desk because he see. puts a paperclip on his nose and lets it fall off, and yeah. it's just a great little moment, <laughs> and it just falls right off his face, and he and he kind of goes, "Hew!" and then like the filing cabinets start moving towards him. And he does the triangle mouth yell. That's the way to end this movie. Absolutely. And that's Ernest Goes to Jail. What have we learned? (laughs) Oh, boy. What do you make of this entire... What do you make of Ernest as a character? What do I make of Ernest as a character? Um, That's what it's all about, man. Sure. I mean, I I came in, you know, like like I said, I came in not really knowing Ernest all that well and, and assuming that it was kind of a dumb, gross out thing. And Ernest was not dumb. But many dumb things happened around him. (laughs) And while the gross-out humor wasn't that common, it was there and did happen with intensity when it did happen. What was gross? The pen scene. Oh, the pen? You found that gross? Yes. Are you... What? Yes. I didn't find it gross at all. so disgusting. Really? Yeah. 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 Really gross. Would you, you know, you you described the dumbness around Ernest. Would you say that uh, Ernest was like, I don't know, like... um, a word, dumb like a, magnet? Yeah, like a yeah, magnet kind like of. a magnet yeah. for dumb? Yeah. Um, I could see that as an explanation. Did he seem different to you than, than when you saw him in Christmas? Yeah, I mean, mostly because in Christmas, weirdly enough, he really felt like a supporting character in his own movie. Sure. He was the comic relief to another story that was happening. Where in this one, it felt like he was the comic relief and the story. And sometimes one of those took precedence over the other one. Yeah, like I said before, I think he gets more childlike as he goes on. I think in this one, because there aren't any other children in this movie, yeah, that's um, true. he feels like he's the most childish thing in it. Whereas when he's oh, around children, 
That's he true. feels like he tries to act more mature and like be more protective of them. That's very true because we always talk about how he's very paternal. I was saying this to you before about another movie, but like when there aren't kids in an Ernest movie, Ernest becomes the child. Yes. Which is weird in this one because he is both the child and in profoundly adult situations <laughs> that he does not seem to be in, in any of the other stuff. Uncomfortably so. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of contradictions yeah. in this one. I mean, I will say just from my own childhood, like we had this one and we had Scared Stupid. Yeah. And my friend had Christmas, so we watched that a lot. And I should say we, we did have this taped off TV, so I had the good ending. Yeah. But I feel like this one stuck with me the least out of, of all those three. Watching it again, I feel like the best parts of it are Ernest. Oh, yeah. But, but I think that's just because there's like, take him away and there's really not much else going on. It's interesting, though. It's like, it's one of those movies that like, I, I enjoy while I'm watching it, even though like, it doesn't stay with me. That's, yeah, I agree with that. Because like, camp is about like, an emotional arc. And Christmas is like a family movie with like a heartwarming story and the morality and everything. And this is really just like Ernest is in jail, has to beat the bad guy in a fight. Right. And again, this is still to me the funniest Ernest movie. And I will show this one to people who like to laugh. I get that. That's how I feel about Muppet movies. They don't really stay with me. Right. Well, sometimes there's stories, and sometimes there's like collections of gags. Yeah. But there's still things to take away from Ernest's characterization, and he still manages to retain his earnestness. Oh, he's definitely still Ernest. He's still a. See, that's what I mean. He's a strong character, like in that you can put him in a variety of situations, and he will kind of shine through. Mm -hmm. It's different. At least I can say that with Ernest, things it is not the same thing every time. No, I like the thing you were saying earlier about like each one being like a different genre. I think that's fascinating. You know what is which? It's like these people have never made movies before. This is their first time making movies. And they're just like having a go at everything. They're not happy just making the same thing over and over and over again. They have to find a new reason to get excited with each one. Well, that's kind of interesting. I get that. Yeah. Well, I think, and once you have an established character, it becomes like fun to just be like, oh, okay, we've got this. We kind of know what his deal is. What if we put him here? How would he react in jail? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love that he has a good attitude towards jail. Only Ernest. Ernest. Well, that is episode eight. Yep. Ernest goes to jail thanks so much chris for joining us thanks thanks for having me on there's no surprises now listeners at this point we're going chronologically after our next extra the next episode will be Ernest scared stupid a staple of david's childhood love it i already placed my order for some authentic bulgarian miak it'll all be explained Thank you for listening. Uh, Please follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and rate and review us on iTunes. It very much helps. And we like it. Oh, yeah. It's great. That's going to be great. It's going to be great. That's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Thank you all again. See you next time. Take care, everybody. Viva la Varney. Climbing shoes.